tuning in to this new episode of 100% Tilted Discussions with Winning Underdogs. We have in the studio, and I, I keep saying this every time we have a guest, but it just keeps getting better. This is a really special opportunity for us to sit with a man who decided to take his platform and actually put energy and money where his mouth is. Uh, a lot of people complain. A lot of people don't like what they see, what they have, where things are headed. He decided to put his hat in the ring and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to represent. Born in Georgia, decided that uh, Texas was a better place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and became, through social media, became a rising star, a voice uh, in a platform that was befitting of Texas in the cab of his pickup truck and kind of almost by accident became a guy that everybody wanted to pay attention to by the numbers of over a billion views between Facebook, YouTube, all of your channels that you have reached a ton of people who offends many, but gets right in line with, with the majority of those that agree with what you say and your beliefs and want to stand behind that. And as you turned into an entertainer after doing a corporate job, yeah. a little bit of sales, a little bit of running the roads and seeing what I can do to make things different and take advantage of social, we are proud to have at 100% Tilted, Mr. Chad Prather. Thanks for having me. And you're right. This is a this is a blessing for you guys. I'm telling you, it's it's <laughs> the, <laughs> the humility is, a, is this, inspiring. This, this is a great. <laughs> listen, I have a website that's watchchad.com. That is the most vain web address you can have, right? Not so. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I've been looking forward to being with you guys. It's uh, it has been a funny journey, right? I was doing cable, I was on television for the first time when I was three years old. So I've always been on some form or fashion of stage, whether it's playing sports, doing theater, music, whatever. And I was actually doing a cable television show that uh, when my first video went, quote, viral on social media. Mm -hmm. Only in the 21st century, in the age of, of what we have now, could your career skyrocket because of an internet video that goes far and beyond what you're doing on a cable network, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's what happened for me. So it's been an interesting journey. What was the first video for you? Um, I mean, what made you decide to be to get in your truck and put your camera up and, and put out a video? So I had a buddy of mine, Trey Chapman, uh, who's a Fort Worth guy. He's a, he's a sixth-generation Texas rancher up in the Fort Worth area. And he's he's a food he's also a food critic. He he's started a food blog a while back, and so he's got a pretty good social media following. And I used to tell people that uh, I said I used to I learned what not to do by watching my buddy Trey on social media because he's just a mess. So he and I being good buddies, we uh, I used to think to myself I'd, I'd look at Facebook for years and I'd think there's a way to make a living with this tool. I just don't know how yet. I can't figure it out. And. Uh, <clears throat> He and I would kind of go back and forth with each other every morning. I'd be in the truck driving in traffic, and I'd post a 20-second video and insulting him, <laughs> just roasting him. And then he'd come back and do a 20. <laughs> so every morning, people around the Fort Worth area started waiting on our little daily banter. He'd post one, I'd post one, so on and so forth. And so people kept saying, man, you guys need a reality show, just you know, going at each other and having a good time. And, and so then it got to the point where I said, well, people are watching this thing. Let me just put my daily thoughts out. And so I started calling it Chad's Church, which I wanted to see how much I could say kind of motivationally in 60 seconds. And then people were kind of like, what do you mean Chad's Church? You know, people get offended by that. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, you're so pompous and arrogant now. Now you're taking people to church. No, I just was trying to motivate people. 
So anyway, I just kind of realized it was it was therapeutic for me to get stuff off my chest. Mm. And so while I was driving in traffic, I'd just pop the camera on the dashboard and just start saying whatever my thoughts of the day were. And usually it was when I was going into that network office where I was doing that cable show. And we had a meeting. They brought a lot of the local talent in that had shows. And, and the president of that network, he said, you know, we need to promote our network. We need a viral video. And I was like, well, we need to guess the uh, the lotto numbers too. I mean, you know, you don't just yeah. go out and make a viral video. Mm -hmm. You know, you just like picking where lightning's going to strike. And a week later, the CEO of the network, it was his birthday, and they sent me to out to uh, – to a target to pick up a birthday card for him from the office. And while I was sitting there, I'd had such a bad experience in that target. I went, I, I came out and I sat in the truck and I started comparing Walmart and target. And that was the first video that just went boom and just took off. And, you know, you just know within a matter of hours that there's something going on here. Like, like you're used to having what, 25 views or a hundred views. Yeah. And now, now you're at 12,500 in, in an hour. It's so, for me, Just I was like, like something's crazy. going on. So it hit a million views in uh, that day, in a day, Good 24 grief. hours. Your phone must have just been... Oh, it was, it was insane. Like I mean, it was a whole new world. You know, I used to tell, I used to tell people, I said it was like inviting the neighbors into your house and letting them go through your underwear drawer. Because <laughs> suddenly, like that day, my phone started blowing up in such a way that I was, I was getting like a th over a thousand friend requests on Facebook yep. per hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, people were sharing it just off the wall. It was crazy what was going on. And I had to go in and hide all the albums that had pictures of my kids. You know, that, that day, like, profile was just so, it was just, it was just a, it was just a personal yeah. profile. Yeah. And, uh, oh, so this wasn't even a public page. This no, private not at all. You just put this no, it's just on. my, like, that I wow. have friends on. When right? was this? This was March of 2015. Wow. March of 2015. So I, I, it was crazy. And I was telling the guys at the network, I said, you wanted a viral video. We got one. And they were like, okay, well, they have all these really hot girls that work for the network. They were wanting it to happen to one of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Not me, you oh, know, hot. the middle aged, the middle aged, <laughs> overweight, out of shape cowboy. They didn't want it happening to me. They wanted one of their hot model yeah. hosts to get it. Uh, because that was kind of their, um, that was kind of their model for doing business was models. And so they were like, okay, yeah, sure. And I'm like, I'm telling you guys, this video is going viral. And so they laughed it off. Well, now I'm the one laughing at that. But uh, <laughs> so then the one that became, then I did, when that happened, I said, well, hell, I wonder if I can do this again. So a few days later, I had another video, a couple million views. Get out. And then it just happened faster and faster. Then, then I would do a video that, bam, would have 10 million views in a day or 14 15 million views it's crazy this is still on your private profile still on a private profile well now i'm in a dilemma because i did have a quote business page chad brather business page for the television network that i was doing and i was like well dang i wish it was kind of happening on that not my personal yeah. page and so so to this day i now i have four main facebook pages i have that original friend page it's got about you know almost two million followers on it you know, that's the one where you get 5,000 friends and they cap you, but people can yep. keep following it. Mm -hmm. So two million, like 2 wow. million people follow that page. That original business page has like half a million on it, which to me is a small page comparatively. I've got political cowboy 
that has, I don't know, a million and a half. And then I've got Watch Chad Prather that has almost two million that follow it. And there's some overlap in that. So you could roughly say that there's, there's you know, 1.7 million people that follow overall. And I wish it was all on one page because I have to keep up with all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I am the one who keeps up with all really? that stuff. Yeah. I We have some administrators who will put some content on there you know, news articles and things like that, they'll they'll post on there. But if you see a thought or a picture or something, that's me posting it. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is doing that. That's me. If you get a comment on there in a thread, that's me. It's not <clears throat> somebody else doing it. And uh, so <clears throat> the thing took off. It, it was crazy. And, uh, then, and then I did a video because someone had sent me a message about being from the South and how stupid people from the South were and how we're uneducated and we, we talk funny and all these things. And, and so I literally pulled over. I, I pulled over into my uh, into a driveway there in my neighborhood. And I just ranted on this deal. And, and I put a video up and I called it Unapologetically Southern. Mm -hmm. And, of course, all these I would put over to my YouTube. And people think of me as a YouTube person. I'm really not. I'm a Facebook person. And uh, face, YouTube's always been a struggle for me. But uh, that video on YouTube ran up and I, I didn't even know it did it. It ran up to like two or three million views unbeknownst to me. So I started getting these calls on Saturday morning from, you know, well, no, I would, I know what it was. It was a Friday morning and I get a call from a friend of mine who says, you're on, uh, you're on Fox news. And I said, which affiliate? Because at that point in time, there <laughs> yeah. were certain like local Fox yeah. affiliates that would say yeah. something about one of my deals. Radio stations were picking up on it. And they said, no, the Fox News. So it's like 530 in the morning. I run in there. Fox and Friends is on. I flip it on. And no kidding. There I am. Right. And so that day, my phone starts ringing. My email starts blowing up. It's Fox News wanting me to do a, a remote appearance on Fox the next morning. So... I'm kind of known for that unapologetically Southern. You know, people always say, you know, back in whatever it was, late 2015 or 16, they, they, you know, he did this video called Unapologetically Southern. That was his first one. It really wasn't my first one. I had, I had probably 100 million views on other videos at that point mm -hmm. in time. But that was the one I became known for. And I'm okay with that. I mean, it, it's fine. I, I, I'm proud of it. Proud of the message that it conveyed. It definitely resonated. Um, and I think spoke. Yeah. A lot, it represented a lot of people that feel like. And it was the right when, timing for yeah. it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Because they, because there were, you know, that's when people want to get rid of the, any Confederate symbols that were on a flag. You know, mm -hmm. they they wanted to pull it down off the state house in, in in South Carolina. So there were a lot of people from the South who were kind of feeling persecuted anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, it just kind of getting lumped into a lot of craziness that they didn't ask for. So it was the perfect timing for that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, and and that's okay. I mean, you know, I'm still well known for that. And and I, the the thing that kind of set me apart because people go viral all the time. And then many more don't. A lot don't, right? Or somebody goes viral once and you forget about that. Mm -hmm. Or you see somebody for a while and then they go away. And the nature of social media obviously has changed so much in the last six or seven years. It's quicker than the news cycle. It really is. <laughs> and so what I did and what a few other people that I've come to know as friends have done is we were able to translate that. You have lightning in a bottle, but what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. We were able to translate it into a business. And uh, I was able to brand it, market it, um, kind of create something around it, which was great because, you know, before I'd gone into the television thing, uh, I was working in the corporate world. As you said, I, I was doing great in the corporate world. I was working for a four, I was an account executive for a Fortune 300 company. And uh, 
I can remember sitting there. I was at the gym one day. I was not in the gym. I was at the gym. There's a huge difference. And I was sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was just sitting in the parking lot making some calls. And I, and I called someone. And I said, I'm going to go make a... I'm going to make a living just being myself. And they said, what's the street value on your personality? <laughs> and I said, well, we're about to find out. So, uh, you know, I kind of stepped out away from that corporate job, which was a great job. And I stepped into nothing quite literally. And right after that, it was almost like the, the clouds parted. And, mm. you know, when you get your life in alignment, right? I, I have this, I have a tattoo right here on my arm. It's a guitar with wings on it. And under it, it's got a banner that says rhythm of life. I've always said that you got to find the rhythm right? You might not like the song all the time, and sometimes there's some minor chords, but once you find that rhythm for your life and you find where you're supposed to be, it's funny how things fall into place for you, right? Mm -hmm. They really do. Uh, and a lot of people never, I, I, my life philosophy has always been uh, the four principles of, and I, I believe it's in this order, vision, passion, discipline, and risk. Vision is seeing beyond your boundaries. Uh, passion is being empowered by what you've seen. Uh, discipline is is controlling your life, disciplining your life to accomplish what you've seen, and risk is spending your life to to accomplish what you've seen. A lot of people don't ever risk it, right? You got to. It's one thing to to aim; it's another thing to pull the trigger. A lot of people never pull the trigger. I was fortunate enough to do that, and and things just kind of opened up. So I always tell people when they ask the story, I said, I really can't tell my story unless I use the vocabulary of the divine. Because it really was to me a God thing, like like a like an intervention, you know, providence kind of thing, because things just started falling into place that just just I don't know how else to explain them, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've learned, as stressful as it's all been over the years, trying to juggle as many things as I do, I've just learned to to just to just kind of trust and and just stay in the flow. Because if you're in rhythm, you're in rhythm, and and. You know, I, I I get frustrated with myself, especially these days. I get frustrated with myself. You would think the older you get, the more at peace with yourself you become and just trust the process. But I get frustrated. I still get impatient because you just you're not seeing certain things unfold on the timetable you want to see it happen. Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm like I tell people I'm like a goose. I wake up in a new world every day. Right. To me, I love variety. If you if you forced me to go in and do the exact same thing every day. Just, I'm out. I'm cashing out. I can't do it. I'm just too, there's too many ideas. I've always been that way. You know, I started doing, um, I started making t-shirts when I was in college and selling them on campus. And, you know, I loved having that creative. I've always been a hustler, right? Just an entrepreneurial dude who came up with different ways to have a side hustle. And this is, this has been that for me. It's like, I'm like my main hustle has been my side hustle. I, people always ask, they go, what are you? Like, do you do comedy, uh, talk show, music, you know, entrepreneur, uh, businessman, sales guy? I mean, what is it? And I'm like, yeah, like, yep. all of it, all of it. And it's, it's always been, you always wanted to define yourself. And I'm like, I don't know that I'm good at any of them singularly, but together I, I'm able to, to make it work pretty it good. So I, I remember... Uh, and this was funny how life works. Mm -hmm. Victory and winning come is given to the rewarded to those who are prepared, not who believe they think they should. They just deserve to win, right? Because right? I think we all have the same opinion about participation trophies. Exactly. Uh, a friend of mine shared a video of yours many years ago. I don't remember the date, and it was a message that uh, they thought, "Check this guy out. This is really cool," and it was the twenty dollar mm -hmm. bill video that you did mm -hmm. and I saw a lot of my friends share, and I don't know the date of when you posted that video but it it was that's when I went wow you know when you see all these people coming out with videos of just trying to pander for likes and right. and shares and it was a really strong heartfelt 
that was a real message. Yeah. And I never forgot that. And it was really crazy how we ended up sitting here. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Isn't it, it is. It's, man. it's a providential thing. You never know. Yeah. It's a crazy thing. And that was one of the things that I remembered uh, most when I realized just the connection of people in this circle of how this ended up happening and being able to meet you. Yeah. Uh, because that's the crazy thing of life. You know, there, there's times when you meet people or you think, gosh, I'd love to meet that guy or man, if I could ever have a chance to do that. And, but just to see somebody who clearly has this massive following, massive engagement with a really cool message and doing so much that this was, that was like that one piece that was the heart piece. Yeah. And that's when I was like, man, that guy's real. Like that's a, that's a, you can't, you can't fake that kind of message. Yeah. Right. Well, the funny thing about that video is I had done one earlier, you know, I alluded to the Chad's church thing mm -hmm. and I was doing these little 60 second blurbs. That was one of the ones that I did and it never really went anywhere. It never got any traction. And I thought, you know what, let's, I mean, it's just one of those old Sunday school lessons that, you know, God, we probably heard when we were kids, you know, mm -hmm. and it just stuck with, it stuck, it's a great illustration, right? Mm -hmm. About self-worth. And uh, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to dig this out and try it again. So I did it because at the end of the day, the thing that has helped me is when I say something, I really do believe what I'm saying. Like there's a genuineness there because I do care about people. I do like people. I don't meet strangers. Um, I'm, I'm a reasonably generous person, a reasonably gracious person. And uh, I run my mouth a lot, but I think hey, that's how you make a living, right? You but, but it's my conviction. So when I did that video, it was kind of cool. There's a buddy of mine who lives here in the area, uh, in, the, in the North Houston area. He's a buddy of mine now. I didn't know him then. He reached out to me, and, and he said, he said, I got to tell you, he said, I'm a Marine. I was in Fallujah. had a lot of PTS. He said, I came back, and he said, one day while my wife was at work, he said, I put a 9 millimeter in my mouth, and I pulled the trigger. And he goes, it just went click, misfired. And he said, I was trembling so bad, the adrenaline was rushing. He said, because I just tried to kill myself, and it misfired. And he said, I picked up my phone to call my wife because I was so desperate. And, uh, you know, they say that a lot of times people who are unsuccessful in, in committing suicide, as soon as they do that, they change their minds. Mm -hmm. like, it, like people who have lived through it, they said, as soon as I jumped off of that, I changed my mind. And he said, I had a change of heart as soon as I heard that click. So he picks up his phone, and he opens it up, and it's on Facebook, and there's this redneck in a cowboy hat talking and he said the volume's on and it starts talking about that $20 bill and he said I he said that message he said it was like it was like it was just for me you know so he said I have that bullet like the bullet that came out of that gun and no it's got kidding. it's got I met him David Dave Warner is his name he uh that you see the dimple on the where the firing pin hit the bullet wow. and it didn't go off and a uh, crazy story, but you never know. The point is you just never know how just mm -hmm. trying to be real mm -hmm. is going to affect somebody in mm -hmm. a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know, that video, because of the shares, and I've never really counted the views. I always count the shares because to me it, it doesn't matter unless somebody else is telling your story. Mm -hmm. And I think a share is like somebody telling your story. And uh, so uh, that thing, I mean, it probably saw 250 million views wow. if you're just looking at Facebook alone. It's kind of crazy. But the stories over the years that have come back from that has been pretty impactful. That hit people. That hit people hard. Yeah. Yeah, in a time when a lot of people feel just unworthy and undervalued and overlooked and underappreciated. And, yeah. You know, you start and, I mean, we're, that's where we live, right? Yeah. These days, more than anything. I mean, with the, with the shutdowns and the quarantines and the coronavirus. And I was just saying today, I said the biggest issue that I have with society right now is we don't know how to relate to each other. You know, we've we've mm -hmm. spent a generation now looking at screens, interacting with a thing more than a person. 
and now we've been masked up. And, you know, I was in the Best Buy uh, in the Woodlands a couple of weeks ago. Well, I know when it was. It was the Monday with the Facebook shutdown for seven or eight hours. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out in public and actually see humans. And, and I was like, God, I was just blown away by how people are. They just don't know how to interact anymore. <clears throat> it's crazy mm-hmm. to see that. So yeah. it's discouraging. Everybody, people are really dealing with this. So you, through all the social media, and it was last year when the mandate hit mm-hmm. that you made a tweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, about getting into politics. Yeah, which I swore I'd never do. Swore I'd never do. When I, when I first went viral with the videos, it was funny because my mother called me on the phone. She said, I was at church and I heard you're sick. And I go, what? And she goes, they said you're viral. And I said, <laughs> I said, I said no, mom, they're talking about my Facebook and my Twitter. And wow. she, goes, she goes, at the time she goes, you're 43. You're too old to be touching your Twitter. No wonder you're not feeling well. I was like, mom. Of course, at that point, I didn't have my nerve to tell her about my Snapchat. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I. So back then, when that happened, I've always been a political junkie, right? I'm a cultural guy, and I and I believe that that politics runs downstream from culture. You know, the, the old adage, uh, you know, that that culture runs downstream from religion. Politics runs downstream from culture. I've always been a culture guy. It's always fascinated me. To me, social media was but one big sociological experiment of how people react with each other, mm-hmm. especially in the anonymity of a screen and, and behind a keyboard. Still fascinates me. Um, and I said then, I said, I'm never going to do political humor. That lasted about six weeks mm. because we were in the primary season. Too much material. Oh, my gosh. And, and it was like, I felt like it was important, you know, being a conservative-leaning guy. I felt like it was important because I didn't want Hillary Clinton. I didn't understand Donald Trump. Like, I wasn't a Trump guy. That, that, that just didn't make sense to me. Uh, none of it just computed. And so I did a video where I was talking about these primary races, and I said, trying to figure out which uh, video, uh, sorry, which candidate you're most okay living with is like trying to figure out which venereal disease you want to live with for the next four to eight years, right? <laughs> because none of them seemed any good. And uh, I just I just was pretty passionate about that election. And so I got into it. And, of course, that people were like, oh, God, he's gotten into politics. Well, at the same time, I said I would never run for office. And I really, I still to this day have never, and I don't have a desire to run for office, although I'm running, I'm for, a, office. I'm running for office, which I think that's the best kind of candidate you can have, a reluctant candidate. Anybody that wants to be a career politician or choose it for a career choice, there's something wrong in my mind with those people. And we can dive into that if we want. Maybe I'm wrong, but but I just it feels wrong to me. It feels that just a, it's kind of cringy. So it was uh, July second. Uh, I was in South Dakota. Uh, we were waiting on Trump to come speak at Mount Rushmore the following night, July third. Yeah. And so that was the big because that was the first time they were doing fireworks at Mount Rushmore in like yep. sixteen years. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we were there in the Black Hills. We were at Calvin Coolidge's, the Summer White House, in. Um, gorgeous place and there's a dinner there uh don trump jr's there and and i'm just kind of in my brain right because i'm i'm kind of jazzed up about where i am and trump's coming tomorrow going to be in a big event we we were guests of eric trump to be there and so but at the same time i'm like oh all this crap's going on my news feed's going off and I see that Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has handed out another mandate where he's determining certain businesses non-essential, specifically 51 percenters, which, of course, mm-hmm. are the people who rely on alcohol for 51 percent of their business. So bars. 
and uh, shutting them down. Churches are being shut down. Gyms are being closed down. It just pissed me off. It's so I jumped on Twitter. And again, I tell people jokingly, I said, I don't know if it's because I was drinking that night or because I was with a Trump, but I went to Twitter. And I, and I, <laughs> I said, you know, because that's where, that's where Trump would go, yeah. right? So I, I tweeted, I'm going to run for governor in 2022 uh, in the state of Texas. Woke up the next day, and let me tell you, it was a firestorm. I didn't realize how disgruntled, just how disgruntled people were with Greg Abbott in the state of Texas. Mm. Conservatives. Mm -hmm. um, and so people thought it was a joke. They thought it was a publicity stunt. They were kind of waiting on the punchline. But I don't joke when it comes to Texas. This is home for me. I mean, this is, for, you know, for the last 20 years, this has been the center of my universe. And I wouldn't be where I am in terms of success if it weren't for Texas. I couldn't have done it. No. You just plant where you're in the right soil. Texas was the right soil for my seed, so to speak. And so I flourished here, and I, and I care about it. So it was real, and a lot of people still, they, they're like, oh, we don't know if we need to take him seriously or not, until they come to one of my campaign events. When they come in and listen to me talk for half an hour and hear the passion that I have for this state, they walk away every time people say, we didn't know what to think, but now mm -hmm. you have our support. Or they'll say, we were supporting somebody else in the primary, but now we're supporting you. Uh, and, and it's uh, very real for me. Because, I, you know, and so I jumped into this thing, my mother, again, she says, she'll call every now and she's like, have you dropped out yet? <laughs> I'm like, no, mommy, we got a lot of momentum, actually. And she's like, oh, it just makes me so nervous. I'm like, you live in Georgia. What are you, why are you, you're like, yeah. nobody's, you know, you don't yeah. have paparazzi outside your house. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fine. So, you know, I, the things I have seen, I can't unsee. When it comes to the state of Texas, I am in this forever. It doesn't matter what office I, I win or hold. I will never go away from what I've seen with Texas politics. We've got to get uh, we got to get this state back on track. There's definitely some some you know <laughs> some veterans, some conservatives that have been popping up, like Dan Dan Crenshaw. Yeah, right, veteran. You got Morgan Luttrell yeah. running for this district in Montgomery County. Uh, Herschel Walker of all Herschel Walker, right, jumping into Georgia. it. Georgia, uh, yeah. which you know, uh, if you follow Herschel at all. Uh, you'll see his son, Christian. Who, yeah. yeah, Christian. That is one of the most intelligent yeah. young men from an audience you would think wouldn't even coexist. Right. Right. And then Herschel dipping his hat because I just out of frustration. So I was with Herschel a couple of weeks ago and I went to Georgia. Right. So mm -hmm. I got a, a strong bond there in terms of my, my affinity for Herschel Walker. And uh, I, I he was there at the studios a couple of weeks ago and and we were talking about that very thing, you know, just said so you have these people who don't have to run for office. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, but why they, would you? But like they, they can't unsee it, right? Yeah. Like now you've got to put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. So I tell people all the time, again, as I said, I'm a reluctant candidate. Um, this, why would you want to spend tens of millions of dollars to get a job that's going to pay you $153,000 a year? And you can't do anything else. Like that's mm -hmm. your job. That's what you do especially for an entrepreneur, a free market guy that loves capitalism, who, who's a hustler, who likes to go out there and find ways to, to make money and bless people and provide for folks. Um, gosh, why would you do something like that? And, um, but wasn't it that, wasn't that by design from, from day one? Yeah. The government by the people, for the people. Right. Not career politicians necessarily. See, what right? we've lost, we've, we've, I tell people that 
I said, the best example I can think of is, you know, when that jury duty summons comes in and you're like, oh, crap. Mm. Like, you don't want to go do that. But you do it because you're a good citizen, right? You, you, it's, your, it's your duty. It's your responsibility. You go, you do it, and when it's over with, you're like, okay, thank God I'm done with that, right? Mm. And they pay you, what, $15 a day to determine, you know, a guy's fate who committed murder mm. <laughs> or yeah, something. Something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You send a guy to death row, <laughs> you know, they paid you 15 bucks a day. Uh, like, it's not a job you want, but you do it, right? Yeah. You feel responsible to do it. And George Washington, after two terms, they wanted him to be a third-term president. He said, nope, we're turning back into monarchy here. We're trying to get into tyranny. We're not going to do that. So he went back home to Mount Vernon and spent the rest of his life making whiskey, which is my kind of guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was a citizen soldier, right? He was a land surveyor, a farmer. He was a distiller. Uh, he stepped up when his country needed it, but then he walked away from it. We've gotten so far away from that concept. You take, again, the guy we're talking about, Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott's been in Texas politics for 30 years. He was on the state Supreme Court. He was the attorney general, now two terms as governor. He's part of the Carl Rove uh, political machine. They were grooming him from day one to ultimately run for the presidency. Uh-huh. Okay, he'll still probably run in 2024 because it's his time and he has to. Three things happened that Greg Abbott wasn't expecting and uh it's really messed him up and thrown him off and basically gave him where he doesn't have a chance and that is donald trump coronavirus and ron DeSantis, Mm -hmm. because because he didn't expect any of those things coronavirus and his track record with how he handled the pandemic is really going to hurt him especially and that's what's hurting him in the state of texas because conservatives realize something that he he's violated our constitutional rights i'm counting right at 14 times now in the last 18 months so the example, and I borrow this from my friend and author, uh, Robert West, he wrote The Five Star Plan, which is an incredible book. I encourage people to get it. It's how people can get involved and actually change politics in the state of Texas. Quick, simple, easy read, uh, but practical. And he uses an example. He said, if you won, say, you know, half a billion dollars in the state lottery, in the mega millions, and you bought a big ranch, big fence around it, and you wanted to be left alone, you hired a security team, you'd probably give that security team a couple of rules. You'd say, you know, don't come into my bedroom unless it's a life or death emergency. Uh, don't touch my kids. Don't mess with my wife. How many times would you allow them to break the rules before you fired them and got another security team? Once. So why do we let a guy continue to violate our constitutional rights and then not replace him? And then you say, ah, he's good. He's doing a great job. The problem with Greg Abbott, being that career politician that he is, he has learned how to do a couple of things. One, he's got so much money that with that kind of money, you can pretend to be and appear to be anything you want to be. I had an interviewer from NBC a a couple of weeks ago call me up, and he started out. He said, according to the media, I said, let me stop you right there because what you're about to say is garbage. According to the media, that's no basis for any conversation. Mm -hmm. The media is garbage. And he said, well, according according to what we're hearing is Greg Abbott as a conservative is doing a good job. I said, are you from Texas? And he said, no. I said, let me talk to you for a minute. So you've got <laughs> enough money. You can even make the media mm-hmm. think you look good as a conservative. He's doing that. Uh, Greg Abbott's got, he claims to have $55 million in a campaign war chest. It's probably more like $80 million. It was interesting. He peacocked that. Right. Right. You saw that. I mean, you know, he said he made a comment about Matthew McConaughey where he said, I don't care who it is. He goes, we have 50 million dollars in a campaign war chest and I'm a I'm a hell of a uh, fundraiser. Well, so much for caring about the people of Texas. You know how to get your hands on cash from multinational corporations, Silicon Valley, foreign entities and uh, all these special interest groups. 
that doesn't bode well with me. You know, the 10 days following the initial legislative session in June, he raised $18.7 million. That ain't mom and pop money. That's coming from big places that have a, a, a vested interest in what he does next. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to give you know, that kind of money, that's a lot of money to raise in, in 10 days. Uh, especially when you haven't even been campaigning. You've been in the special session. Or not in the special session, in the judicial legislative session. Uh, so he can campaign like crazy. And you have the uneducated voters out there who... Who just don't know? They think, oh, we got a good guy that he's a conservative. He says all the right things, and they say he does all the right things. But people are hard pressed to show me what he's actually doing. They can tell me what he's saying. He talks a really good game. But the second point I was going to make is he's real good at being both the arsonist and the fireman. So mm-hmm. he sets the fire and then puts the fire out and pats himself on the back, saying, "Look, I saved everybody." So he shut Texas down, made everybody put masks on made them socially distanced, made it where they couldn't go to the gym, couldn't go to the church. And and, and listen, I say this, go to the gym thing. Uh, it's important because it's a violation of your constitutional right. He can't violate contracts, right? You can't, if somebody enters into a contract with another entity, the governor can't speak into something and say, okay, we're going to render that contract null and void. So now you can't. So when you sign up with the gym, you sign a contract. The fact that you couldn't go to the gym violates that contract. He doesn't have the right to violate that. He can't make that. He can't make that inviolate. Wow, I don't think so a lot of people they understand. don't realize that. So that's yeah. a constitutional right that's being broken right there. So, so I'm not just saying, oh, you didn't get to go work out. No, this is a constitutional right that was violated. Uh, he unilaterally and dictatorially, and I say that specifically, he shut down this state, closed down, uh, cost us hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Tens of thousands, tens of millions of, of jobs and, and businesses were shut down. Uh, and then he wants to say, well, we're going to open this back up. Well, it wasn't your place to shut it down. It's not your place to open it back up. So, but everybody's like, oh, but he opened the state. He made it, he got rid of the mask mandates. Oh, did he? Did he? Because there's a lot of places. You go to the city of Dallas, there's a lot of places where they're still saying, no, we still demand these. A lot of places <laughs> they're saying, if you're not fully vaccinated, then you got to wear these masks. I mean, it, it, it impacted us. You know, earlier, earlier you alluded to executive orders leading up to the 4th of July yeah. around the reclosure of bars and the reclosure of restaurants, right? Kind of this expansion and contraction right. based on number of cases that were out there or reported cases that were out there. What are your overall thoughts on the executive orders and the power? I don't of like executive orders, first of all. Executive orders are too dictatorial. Uh, again, they're necessary in times, but at times. But but unless you take that executive order through the legislative process, it's bunk, right? This is the same as Joe Biden coming out the other day saying, we're going to mandate that all employers vaccinate their employees or else they're going to basically lose their jobs. That's the implication. Well, unless that's passed through a legislative process, not that, that's not law. I mean, that that's a press release is all that is. But people so quickly abide to it out of fear. They do. It's or, not a law. Or lack of knowledge. Right. You know, what we're talking about the executive orders is the Powers Act, right. specifically in the state of Texas, the Powers Act. Yeah. That in times of uh, distress or, or a major catastrophe, the governor has the quick stroke of a pen yeah. to create an state of emergency or executive order that allows the legislation to come in. Yeah. And create laws around it. So or we're, create we're, support or create capital towards a hurricane relief. Right. And it's supposed to only be for 30 days at a time. Yep. And then the 30 days it expires unless the legislation acts on it. Yeah. That was the problem that we had is they just kept renewing the same order. Right. Right. And just became less about the legislation, less about the rule of law and more about his will under who can reopen and under what guidelines yep. and who has to stay closed under what guidelines. 
So we're in our third legislative session right now, the second special legislative session that he's called. Uh, they're they're finishing that up now, and I posted what has been discussed and what they've what they what's passed in the House and the Senate. The other day, I posted a graph. Nothing has been discussed or pushed on the legislative side of things about these mandates and mm-hmm. the vaccine mandates for employers. Uh, nothing. So if he meant it, but this is this is typical Greg Abbott. I say Greg Abbott says the right thing. Everybody's like, "Hey, he's getting it done." No, he said it. It was a press release. It sounded great. Sounded good and conservative. His, uh, you know, the opinion polls loved it. But at the end of the day, if it's, if it's not being pushed through the legislative session, it again, it's nothing but a, if you're going to keep pushing that, what you just said, the powers act, it becomes an edict. It becomes a dictum. That's tyranny. That's that's acting like a monarch. Uh, we have a Congress in this country on purpose. <clears throat> so to continue doing that, it, it's similar to what he said on the border. You know, we're gonna we're gonna build this wall. We're gonna do what the federal government's not doing. Nothing's being done. Absolutely nothing's no. being done. It sounded good. Uh, but we know the border is a crisis. It's a mess. It's a humanitarian nightmare. Uh, and I pulled some I pulled some headlines about things Greg Abbott promised to do on the border and posted them on my social media. I think I put seven headlines with links to the stories a couple of months ago on on what he was going to do at the border. The problem is I pulled those articles from 2015, and it's the same things he was saying right now because this is a campaign season. So he's a conservative. He's a campaign conservative. He waits to see what people are wanting. And what I say is he, he, he kind of licks his finger, puts it in the air to see which way the winds are blowing. And he wants to sound good to the conservatives of the state. We talked about that yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. He kind of just, that's not leadership mentality. It's a waiting mentality. Well, what I was saying is that Ron DeSantis says and does something. And if you just wait five days, Greg Abbott will say it too. Oh. <laughs> and so Ron DeSantis, okay. who is a stud, and I encourage people, please, you know, if you pray, pray for his wife, who's diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, Ron DeSantis, like I keep looking for a chink in the armor with that guy. Yeah. Like I'm like, well, okay, this guy's going to, you know, because I like I'm friends with Dan Crenshaw, right? I know Dan. I consider Dan a friend. But I'm like, even with Dan, I'm like, okay, dude, that was bullshit. Like, I, I don't like what you just said or did right there. And I've told him, right? <laughs> I mean, like, nobody, but like Ron DeSantis, I'm like, bro, like, this guy's a stud. Mm. I'm like, you know, put him in the put him in the barn and feed him oats because he's a racehorse. I mean, this guy's <laughs> solid. And I keep looking for a flaw. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if people, you know, I, I think it was yesterday or today, he came out with a thing where he said, hey, if, you, if all these boats that are sitting out in the ocean – we got supply chain issues because yeah. Pete Buttigieg and his and his husband Chasen just adopted twin babies and they're on a two month um, uh, maternity leave or paternity leave. Hell, I don't even know what you call it when you got dudes, but but they're you know they're on leave. You know, he was just on Meet the Press this morning with Chuck Todd. He's got to and total damage, damage control. control. And, and Chuck brought it up, and because uh, I was flipping through just catching some of the headlines, and uh, he said, and, and I read another article. Yeah, we can go all day on that, but. Uh, <laughs> Pete Buttigieg made the comment, uh, while I've been out, we've still been working on this. We've actually been in the works of this for months mm-hmm. leading up to it. Kind of like Afghanistan? Yeah. Right? Kind of like last minute planning? Yeah. Now that you're back in the office? Yeah. Like, what do you mean months of planning? You know, like, Pete was, Because uh, even the, the 24-7 now of the discussions, when I read an article uh, through the Chartered Association, it's really more like 24-4. Yeah. It's not real 24-7 because there's so many logistics of rail and truckers and then truckers willing to work extra. Yeah. I mean, they're getting paid more, but now they're able to have more quality of life by not having to run so much. Right. 
But then the logistics of and storage of all this, of what was it, 172 ships now that are floating and anchored offshore. Some yeah. can't even anchor, so they're just floating out there, burning fuel, floating around, yeah. waiting on something to happen. And that's when Ron DeSantis, he stepped in the other day or, or yesterday, and he said, we've got ports, we're ready, yeah. um, and you bring them to Florida, we'll get them unpacked, mm-hmm. we'll get it going. That, to me, is leadership, right? That's leadership. That That's looking out for the best interest of people. Uh, but again, you'll see the federal government will try to crack down on that and do it. And again, back to, you know, just in summary of Pete Buttigieg, I mean, Mayor Pete, you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana, that's what it goes. When you're used to managing 43 city buses and now you got a budget of $86 billion, mm. that kind of starts showing the ineptness of, of, of being a woke administration that wants to ideologically appoint people to a position, not because of their achievements or accomplishments or even in any way, shape or form qualifications, uh, but just because you want to pander to the progressives and make mm-hmm. ideologies into policy. So that's that's what we're seeing. You know, Kamala Harris is a perfect example of that. And on down the line, Merrick Garland as attorney general is another example of that. It's a joke, this administration. But, you know, I want to see, I want to see, I keep telling people everywhere I go, I, and again, I all over the country, normally I'm doing shows in 35 states a year. And everywhere I would go in the last year or so, people would be like, man, Texas needs to do better. Like, why is that Texas more like South Dakota? You know, Christy Noem, she's just a badass up there, right? She doesn't shut her state down. And I'm like, well, South Dakota's got like seven people in it. And, and you know, Texas <laughs> is a little bit bigger. It's a, sort of a different dynamic, but she's awesome. And uh, they're like, well, but why can't you be more like Florida, like Ron DeSantis? I said, well, you know, Florida almost lost uh, to its state to Andrew Gillum, who's, a you know, days after that election was mm-hmm. done. He's caught in a hotel room with a male whatever and smoking crack, meth, whatever it was. I don't want to confuse my drugs because I really don't know. But dude was on something, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, you guys almost didn't have what you have in Florida is my point. It was that close, like 3% separation in that vote between him and DeSantis. I said, but this is Texas. I don't want to be South Dakota, right? I always joke with people. I say, South Dakota doesn't have its own toast. You know, uh, we they don't have, you know, there's no waffle irons in the shape of Florida. This yeah. is Texas, by God. And, uh, you know, we, we take the our flag. best country in the United States of America. Right? I mean, the, girl, the girls take our Texas flag and make bikinis out of them and, and wear them on the river, you know. And, uh, like, I can't even tell you what the flag of South Dakota looks like. So I don't want to be South Dakota. I want to be Texas. But, you know, Texas right now is ranked almost every category across the board in the 40s. You know, we're talking 50 states, 51 if you count D.C., if you 52 if you count Puerto Rico, uh, and, and these very and all these different, you know, outliers there, the Virgin Islands, so on and so forth. We're ranked in the 40s in healthcare. We're ranked in the 40s in opportunity, ranked in the 40s in, in education, and so on and so forth. Uh, our property taxes are through the roof. Greg Abbott's increased spending by $48 billion in the last seven years. That's not conservative and certainly not fiscal conservatism. Uh, the, the government has expanded. I mean, some of his former aides are now making seven, eight million dollars a year as, as lobbyists. And so this, this Texas isn't the Texas that most Texans think it is. And, you know, this, this what I call humble arrogance that I love, the spirit of Texas that I love, that walking a little taller, heads, you know, a little higher, chest stuck out. We, we kind of had the, the, the wind knocked out of our sails a little bit mm-hmm. because we're not leading anymore. We're not <laughs> really doing that. You know, we're a state that supplies 46% of the nation's oil. 
Um, we are a state that provides about 37% of the nation's marketable natural gas. We've got 31 oil refineries in the state. Uh, you know, we're an energy independent state or have been. And then what happens back in February, ERCOT, who most people didn't even know ERCOT was a thing, yeah. our own uh Texas run, Texas own energy grid crashes. We discovered that the people running ERCOT aren't even in Texas. Some of them aren't even in the country. Uh, we, we realize that this is complete mismanagement. All of it is under the, under the um, control of Greg Abbott. And we're relying on 25% of wind and solar energy to give us our, our power and, and getting awards for it, which, you know, hey, that's great. But if you're dependent on that, you get what happens in the snowmageddon we had back in February. And I had people who keep telling me, you know, they, they say, you know, you poor guys down in Texas, y'all can't handle the cold outside. I said, it wasn't cold outside, it was cold inside. That was our problem. You know, people were dying here. And uh, th this can happen. So our coal plants are shut down. We're the number two producer of lignite coal in the nation. It's not great coal. Our coal is not great, but it still burns. It still burns. We could have we could have turned the knob on some of those coal plants and cranked them up, and that that energy grid would have popped right back up and been online. But we we've killed all that again in the name of ideologies of trying to be green and and trying to be woke and taking <clears throat> care of the planet. And we've lost our heritage of, of being an energy supplier for the nation. We're not even supplying energy to ourselves. Uh, so you got power crisis. you got a water crisis that nobody's talking about. And, and so there's all these different things that are happening that, that aren't good. And, and you add the border crisis, which, again, is targeting specifically Texas, and it's Texas on purpose because Joe Biden's administration, the federal government, has a, has a target on the back of Texas because they want Texas to fall. They see Texas as the last bastion with the economy, the, just the sheer size, the population, the people, the will, determination, and that sense of legacy that's in the people of Texas that could put Washington, D.C. back on the right track. They don't want to be on that track. They know tar Texas stands in the way. They want Texas to fall. They want it to become another New York or California or Illinois. So they're not coming to help us, I can tell you that. But when you add that border crisis in, um, we got an untenable future here. Our kids aren't going to have a Texas that we've always known and loved. Uh, and you know, how do, we, they, how do we fix the border so, issue? Uh, on, that's a good question. Let me kind of follow up on a secondary piece of that question. If we know the federal government's not going to come help the state of Texas, mm -hmm. and we know that a lot of the surrounding states don't have the resources to help, right? We're massively larger than New Mexico. Right. Great state, but we're just massive. Is it though? Is it? It's a decent state. It? It's, got some good, it's got some good areas, right? Arizona, we're huge compared to Oklahoma, we're big compared to Louisiana, yeah, sure. right? So we're massive in size. So if the surrounding states don't have the resources to help us in, in things like an immigration crisis or a power crisis, and the federal government's not going to help us because they don't care about us because yeah. of the politics, then why aren't we doing it ourselves? Well, that's you know, a good we question. Have, we have a rainy day fund that has $11.5 billion that's in it right. right now. I'm glad you know that and number. We went through three catastrophes in the last 18 months. Yeah. The worst pandemic in 150 years, right. 110 years yeah. since the Spanish flu. We're in through the worst freeze in the history of the state of Texas. And an immigration crisis is threatening the entirety of the border. Mm -hmm. Yet we're not releasing a dollar of it to do it ourselves. It, it feels to me like if we've got the wind kicked out of us, it's self-inflicted because we have the tools and resources to do it ourselves. Yeah. But our leadership isn't stepping up to do it. Yeah. I am glad you know that rainy day number because I ask people a lot if they know how much is in the rainy day fund and it's all over the map. They just don't have a clue. Eleven and a half. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. You can give every. I'd say it's in, raining. You can give every Texan four thousand dollars tomorrow. Yeah. And still have money left over. Yeah. Every single Texan. I'd say I'd say it's raining outside in Texas, right? It's it's raining. It's you know, time it's to less use the, the fund. We could do the entire border wall ourselves if it mm -hmm. wasn't actually a crisis. 
And I'll we go one step further. I'll go one step further. So uh, the federal government, again, back to those guys, big big brother over there. Um, federal government, uh, let me make two points about the federal government. First of all, the federal government last year gave the state of Texas um, $19 billion to use in pandemic relief for public schools. They used $1.1 billion to that end. There's $17.9 billion out there mysteriously floating on the wind that nobody knows where it is. I can pretty much tell you where it is. It's somewhere that Greg Abbott wants it to be so they can draw interest off of that money and use it for his own personal deal that he needs to, that his agenda that he wants to push through. Why isn't that money being used for the people of Texas? Why isn't it? I mean, if if we're in a situation, I mean, God knows we're in a mess. So there's 17, there's almost $18 billion right there for you. Plus let's round up to a $12 billion rainy day fund. And then the $160 billion that Washington DC siphons off from us every single year. That's why people say, Oh man, you know, I, I, I make jokes and then I talk seriously about certain things. Like they're, they're, I'm a comedian, right? So there's no issue that's out there that I don't have both a serious opinion on and a fun opinion on, right? But sometimes my fun opinions still have a lot of truth in them. So I talk about like people ask me about secession and Texit and, and 14, Bill 1439. That was the Texit bill that was uh, sponsored by Kyle Biederman out of um, uh, Fredericksburg, Kerrville. So, um, People say, well, what about secession? And I say, well, do you understand what Texit is? Because Texit isn't just all of a sudden we're going to be our own country. We're not going to secede. The bill is it gives us the process whereby we could if we ever needed to, okay? Uh, because right now, the way things are written up, we would we would have a problem with it, right? So it's it's basically being able to say, hey, if we want to redraw our borders and redetermine our own our own destiny, then we could do that. Uh and people say, well, the Washington, D.C. gives us too much money every year. Okay. We give them $160 billion. They give us about 40% of that back. We call that a blessing, right? Oh, wow, they're, D.C. is so good to us giving us that money. That'd be like you going into the hospital, them draining 100% of your blood out of your body, giving you 40% of your blood back. They smack you on the ass and say, hope you feel okay tomorrow. Yeah. That's the way that is. That's the kind of logic we're using when it comes to Washington, D.C. So they do have a target on our back when it comes. They, they, that's why Joe Biden is 900 years old. He's never been to the border. He's never been. As a senator, he's never been. He, as a president, he's never been. You would think if this is the biggest crisis going on, this is the biggest thing. You would think that old dude who's, who's addle-brained, they have to move his mouth to help him chew pudding. Like, they, like he should be in prison after this Afghanistan debacle or at the bare minimum in the, in the basement licking the windows uh, at the old folks' home. This guy this guy is is horrible human being, not just a bad president. He's a horrible human being. Uh, he's, he's always been ignorant, but he's never lacked the confidence to keep moving forward. Everybody in Washington, D.C. knows that he's a putz. Uh, and he's never been to the border. Kamala Harris, who's the border czar, she has a tarmac deal in El Paso, right? She hasn't been to Brownsville. She hasn't been to Harlingen. She hasn't been to McAllen. She hasn't been to Del Rio. Uh, these are the hotbed places. These are the spots, right? Because they don't care at the end of the day. They want it to fall. So now I keep telling people where I go. I say, I say, how many people in the room speak French Creole? Because there's a lot of folks in Texas that if mm-hmm. I say, how many of you speak Spanish? They can at least passably, you know, get a get a taco somewhere. I, I, I'm like, how many of you speak French Creole? Huh? I'm like, because the people at the border now, they don't speak Spanish, 
right? We just released, and they say there was uh, 13,000 Haitians that got released. No, there was more like 24,000 Haitians. And they talk about 50,000 more Haitians that are coming. It's really more like about 85 or 90,000 Haitians that are coming. Mixed in with those Haitians are what they're calling exotics. These are not Haitians. These are not Hispanics. These are, and they're not people from Finland or France either. These are people from Yemen. They're from Oman. They're from Afghanistan. They're from Pakistan. They're from the Sudan. They're from Iran. They're from Iraq. These are bad players. Just walking on through. And they're coming through with, they're mixed in with these Haitian quote migrants. So I don't know what level of Messiah magic that these Haitians are working to be able to walk on water since they're coming from an island nation that is a long way away from Mexico. Maybe there is a wormhole from Port-au-Prince to Acuna, but they're getting here. They're not just they're not just walking. They're not bringing themselves. This is a, I've been to Haiti numerous times. Haiti is an impoverished place. It's a very violent place. They're being brought here. They are being brought here with the select purpose of coming to the United States of America. They have no desire to assimilate. They have no desire to adhere to a constitution. In fact, right now, it is illegal for a border agent to write on on a card the word assimilation, illegal, or alien. They can't even write that. They're not allowed to write that on a processing card at the border. So that being said, they're being brought here. If you Google the word Haiti right now, if you scroll down, you'll see some similar searches. One will say, is Haiti a safe place? If you Google it, you look, it will say, uh, Haiti is, there are no areas of Haiti that are safe. It'll say that if you visit Haiti, you will most likely be a victim of crime, of harassment, of theft, of assault, of abuse, of violence, of homicide, murder, rape, or any combination of the above. That's an interesting phrase to me. These are the folks who are coming. These are folks who have only known violence. They've only known how to fight to get ahead. They're not coming here to to just come and be good Americans. They don't want to join your HOA. They don't want to join your PTA. So this is wide open. And, And so it's a bad situation. Somebody asked me at an event the other day, I was in West Texas. They said, well, what about all of these illegals that have been released into the country so far? How are we going to get them back? I said, you're not. They're gone. They're poof. They're gone. Uh, they, they come to these processing centers. They get a court date that's two years out. They get a plane ticket. If they can say, if they could say they have family somewhere in the United States, they will give them a plane ticket. You go to the McAllen Airport, you'll see them by the hundreds holding a manila envelope, uh, the eight and a half by 11 thing. And, and on the outside of it, there's a printed page that says, I do not speak English. Help me get to my gate. Uh, and you'll get on the plane there and they're gone. They're in the interior of the country. You go to Del Rio, Texas, Valverde County has, they share 120 miles of border with Mexico. That's the hotbed. When you turn on the TV and you're seeing all these folks under International Bridge, that's Del Rio. It's across the river from Acuna, uh, Mexico. What I thought was interesting when all that came out in the press, Mm -hmm. when you saw the thousands of people under that bridge, and of course, then the FAA shut down drones that couldn't fly. uh, It seemed like literally within 36 hours, they're cleaning it all up. It was completely vacated. Right. That certainly happened really fast. Really fast. I mean, just from just watching the news going, man, it seemed like they were coming in droves and they were sleeping outside and living in horrible conditions, just trying to find a way to get right. through. But then, yeah, it was, it was, there we go. Yeah. Like overnight. Overnight. How did that even happen? There's a lot of things that are going on that would really piss people off. So I got a question for you, it, but, but, but to finish that thought, what they're doing is they're putting them on buses. Mm. They've got white buses down there. 
and they're you see them and they leave at night under the cover of night they leave I've seen the buses I've seen them really? and they're packed full of people in fact one of the buses there was a, there was a, a, a news story that came out that kind of got buried about a group of Haitians overpowered one of the drivers and took the bus just stole the bus with the people on there so what would be the objective of that what to just let you know uh, uh, undocumented come through our country open borders no more checks you know on one side you know, America's we're the melting pot, right? Yeah. And that and it's the point to be the country where to, to come in and, and create a dream for yourself. And so when Trump became president, he shut it all down and said, yeah. you've got to be documented. There's got to be a process and a path. And if there's an earmark, Interpol, whatever it may be, then you can't come in. All of a sudden threw down the gauntlet. And then of course that put people uneasy. Yeah. So uh, now it's like, why, what is the agenda here? What's the reasoning why they would just open that up and not really care? And then what would be your solution here in Texas? Well, they've told us what the agenda is, and we're just not listening. It, it ultimately is we have to pay the price. Their ideal, the, the lefty lunatic progressives that are out there, they feel like America and its exceptionalism needs to pay a price. We're guilty. Like, how dare us be so great? How dare us when the rest of the world is so impoverished? We should be feeling guilty, especially since we built... And this is their talk. This is their logic, especially since we built this country on the back of slaves, right? We have that huge scar of slavery uh, and, 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 you know, everything that we have was because of, of people that we brought here and we oppressed. Uh, and that's their logic. So therefore, we need to pay the price. And so these progressives, they want to be the social justice warriors who actually weaken America. They want to they weaken economy, weakened economy. They want globalization. In truth, they want the U.N. running everything. Okay, so this is what I consider a controlled crash of the plane, all right? It's not a direct nosedive. They're not trying to kill us all, but they want to have something of value left to turn over to the globalists, to be able to say, okay, here we are. We're America. We've paid our penance. We've done our price. We've paid it. We want to be just like the rest of the world, right? Uh, and, and they actually hate this idea. That's why when... That's why if you go out and you say the word nationalism, ooh, that's a bad word. That's a horrible word. How dare you love your country and want to be a nationalist? They've almost made, they've almost made that into being a white supremacist, right? We saw mm -hmm. that when Trump was in office. Uh, you know, to be to be an American nationalist, ooh, what kind of cult? What kind of militia cult are you in? To be you know to be uh, believe in American exceptionalist, well, that just means you're a racist. All of these different different things. And so that's really what they want. We got to get back. That's one, you know, when I wrote this book, Am I Crazy? That's one of the things that I'm trying to make people understand. The woke mob is trying to destroy us. This is a fight to the death, right? This is a cultural fight. They don't, they don't want you, they don't want, the, they don't want equality. They don't want the playing field leveled. They want us gone. They want us culturally silenced. That's why dead if they could get it. I mean, people's like, oh, they, no, no, dead if they could get it. I mean that. Uh, all you got to do is go on Twitter at any given time. They're wishing covid on you they're wishing you and your family and your grandchildren all the way down you know almost almost a carthaginian peace you know the Car the people of carthage when they destroyed a, a city they would plow it under and pour salt on the field so nothing would ever grow there again mm -hmm. this is the type of victory they want they want people that have a any conservative leaning a love for america people who stand and put their hand over their heart for the anthem and the flag and the pledge they want us gone because we're just we're just expressing hate so this is this is a fight. This is a cultural fight to the death. I try to arm people with common sense of how to address the underlying issues that are in all of these things that are hammering us in the news cycles day in and day out. Now, what I believe is we do have to reestablish uh, greatness as America, but 
we're sitting in a pivotal and strategic point in the state of Texas because, as I said earlier, Texas is the only state left with the size, leverage, and economy and the people to get D.C. back on track. If we'd leverage our power, we really could get their attention. We could make it real hard on Washington, D.C. We could make it harder on Washington, D.C. than D.C. could make it on Texas if we really would apply ourselves. How, how could we do that? What well, for one, thing, for one thing, again, I alluded to that $160 billion we're sending them every year. See, we're not being, we're not being, uh, we're not being governed by elected people anymore. And I'm not talking about voter fraud. I'm not talking about election integrity. I'm talking about the sheer fact, and nobody can argue with it, that we're being run by 2.5 million unelected bureaucrats who it's their job in Washington, <coughs> D.C. to make sure that you keep the coffers full and they reach their greedy fingers into our pockets every single year to make sure that we're paying our, quote, fair share. Uh, we, can, we can end it financially. We can establish ourselves. For instance, why are we not holding the federal government accountable to make these cartels in Mexico an international terrorist organization? In Acuna, that, again, that stretch of border in Valverde County, they're making $25 million a week, a week, the cartels. Uh, you shut that down. You shut that border down. That sends a message. No. If, if the people of Texas whether it is the DPS, the and I'm talking about the people that we have control, because we don't have control over Border Patrol and ICE. That's a federal agency. But let's talk about what we do have. We have National Guard. We've got DPS, Department of Public Safety. We've got the State Guard. We have uh, citizens. We have militias. Uh, ooh, bad word, but it's a, it's a constitutional word. But we have these folks. We have veterans. We have, we have people. We could, we could create not just build a physical wall. We could create a human wall on our border and say, you're not coming across. You're just simply not coming across and stop those quote unquote packages because let's face it, that's the way the cartels see them. This is human trafficking. This is sex trafficking, drug trafficking, organ harvesting. This, this is child trafficking, all of these things. We say it's not coming. You do that. We, we stop the citizens of Texas. We, and we enforce the laws that are on the books because they're not doing that right now. We enforce the laws that are on the books. And people get mad at me because they're like, oh, you got your little alliteration. Well, it, it, you know, what I say is we got to detect, we got to deter, we got to detain, we got to deport, and we got to defend. All right. That's the five steps for the border. We got to detect, got to deter, got to detain, uh, we got to deport, we got to defend. People don't like the defend part, but I promise you the folks coming here are not, are not coming to make peace with you. Um, when you stop them at the border like that, the phones are going to start ringing in two places. One, obviously, south of the border is going to ring. It's going to reverberate to Costa Rica within less than 24 hours. Why isn't my package getting across? These cartel kingpins are going to be saying this. The other place is going to be ringing is in Washington, D.C., and Washington, D.C. is going to be returning the call down to Texas saying, what the hell are y'all doing? We're taking care of our state. You don't have the right to do that. Well, we do have the right to do that. Uh, for one thing, we've got um, we've got uh, – Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution that says that in any situation where the federal government is not helping us in a time of invasion, that the governor of the state becomes the commander-in-chief, and now it is up to the state to defend its borders. I'll go one step further. The 14th Amendment is an easy answer to your question. Mm -hmm. It specifically states that unless it's in the Constitution giving the federal government a certain power, all the powers are left to either the states right. or the people. Right, and the 10th Amendment is the same. Same way, you've, you've got the power, the state's got the power to, to establish its own sovereignty. You know, it seems like, Chad, you know, for a long time, we, we lived with this uh, 
optimistic, optimistic at best, blind and naivete of the government yeah. who really is in it for the betterment of the people. And it seems like the last 24 months has been a period where a lot of questions have now been raised. And because of social media, people were able to spread a message a lot faster to a lot more people right. than it would be traditionally through traditional news media, uh, governed by only certain voices that were given the microphone. But now people like you and others that are now using those platforms to reach a lot of people. But then on the switch, these platforms due to algorithms and keywords. And I just so happened to have dinner last night with a friend of mine who works for the ATF. Mm. And interestingly enough, and we know this by common sense, but use certain keywords in a Google search. Those keywords are flagged. Yeah. You might end up with somebody at your doorstep. Why are you searching for, uh, you know, uh, fertilizer in bulk? (laughs) You know, well, I'm just, I just bought a bunch of land, but these things are flagged, but it's also through your social media captions, your, your direct messages, uh, based on what they look, what they're looking for. What you're saying is very real, Mm -hmm. very real, very, and we like, it sounds like Eagle eye sounds like enemy of the state kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but these things are legitimate. So with a guy, with a conservative guy with a chip of why is this shouldn't be happening. With a, and then most people sitting in a position of naivety, mm-hmm. assuming the government was really in it to help them, and six hundred bucks might have made them feel a little maybe right. made have made them feel a little helped and appeased for a short term yeah. to create distraction, right uh, within chaos. But isn't it funny though that 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 was six hundred bucks that was a stimulus that was your stimulus check and now they're wanting to report to the IRS anytime six hundred bucks shows up in your bank account. It's crazy, right? So, so now, now it's it's it, they they fed them, they fed them what they wanted to feed them, but now they're controlling them with what they fed them. And the exact same thing. We, let, we talked earlier about feels like the wind got knocked out of us yeah. right, over the course of the last 18, 24 months. Just the the circumstances of events, we all just kind of got gut punched, right? So, for a small business piece, there's really two things that I think has really affected in Texas the small businesses and the medium sized businesses. And the first is the overregulation, mm-hmm. and the second is the overtaxation. Mm-hmm. Right, in two specific examples, Texas franchise tax is essentially one half of one percent of the gross profit of a business. Anytime there's an entity in Texas, and, and our entity has to report to the to the state government, it's top line sales, it's approved expenses, and then it's gross profit. And we have to pay the franchise tax on the comptroller's website. The exact words: of the Texas franchise tax is a is a privilege tax is what it says. It's a privilege tax Mm -hmm. for any entity in the state of Texas. So the overtaxation of it, whether I make money in the day or lose money in the day, they're taking money off the top. Mm -hmm. It's a royalty at every single business. Kicker to that is that the minimum threshold is 1 million. The maximum threshold is 20 million. This isn't something that affects fortune 500 companies. This isn't something that affects Tesla or Halliburton or Exxon. It's something that affects barbershops. Yeah. And small business Kicking restaurants. Kicking the crap out of you. Right? It's a yeah. half of a percent. And we're on razor thin margins to begin with, especially nowadays. So if you're taking a percentage of my top line revenue, that's 10 times the bottom line profit. The overtaxation is a gut punch because we're looking at it from a business side and say, okay, if we're going to pay this along with business license taxes and sales taxes and, and income tax revenue and FICA and SUDA and unemployment tax and just layer 20 different taxes what we pay. We pay 28 levels of taxes between the federal government and the state tax. It's insanity. 28 levels of taxes. Before I fill up my tank with gas, wow. right? Or I go to a restaurant. 28 levels of taxes is what we have to pay. What the hell are we getting for it? Yeah. What support are we getting? 
just a constant piece. In the one million to twenty million, that's small businesses. Yeah, we're not taxing X on that. We're giving them tax breaks. And this is this what you're saying is mind blowing. Is mind blowing. But when people come to me and they say, "Why? Why? What are you running for?" And I say, "To get the government out of your life. To get the government out of your life." We woke up on September 1st with 666 new laws. Interesting number. 666 new laws in Texas. I didn't go to bed on August, what is it, 30th, the last day of August, whatever, however many days are in August. I didn't go to bed that night thinking, man, I, I hope there's 600 new laws governing my life tomorrow. The, the overregulation is ridiculous. The overtaxation. I mean, the, okay, you mentioned barbershops. Let's say somebody's out there, they want to have a business, and they're great at doing hair, but they're ter- terrible at filling out paperwork, right? Well, I mean, look at all the licensing you got to go through mm-hmm. just to be able to cut somebody's hair in the state of Texas, right? It's things like that that it's, it's got to be simplified because you're right. To your point, what are you getting <laughs> from all of this stuff? This overregulation is insanity, and then the taxation is is dumb. And, and so people have no idea. We just keep willingly forking it over because we think that they have our best interest at heart. And that's why I keep telling people, I said, the government doesn't like you. The government does not like you. And people say, well, why would you say that? I said, if you think the government likes you, stop paying them and watch what happens. So You'll find out that they don't like you. On that regulation piece, we have 56 barbershops around the country. 50 of them are located in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. We have 600 employees or so that operate these 50 barbershops cosmetologists and barbers. Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation is what oversees, what regulates our industry, specifically the spa and beauty industry. Mm-hmm. Just like it regulates the, the massage parlors, it regulates the nail shops, regulates the hotel spas. We're all in the same umbrella, this beauty and health and wellness. We have to have a license for the shop itself. For each location has to have a license. It's renewed every single year, costs like 150 bucks. Every single employee has to be trained and approved by TDLR and has to carry their own either cosmetology license or barber license. Mm-hmm. An interesting piece, and in when I was talking to Michael Berry about this, it got a little confrontational because he thought I was going the wrong direction with it. But Imagine that in, with Michael. In order, to have a, <laughs> in order to have a barber license, in order to be approved to cut hair. So yeah. this, was a, this was a thing in 2019 that the, that the legislation took up the deregulating our industry. And what came of it is that if you're doing wigs, mm. you, used be, you used to have a license to have to do wigs. In order to put a wig on somebody who has a license, right. they got rid of that. They kept everything else. If you want to do nails or straight shaves or haircuts or perms or colors or, or it doesn't matter what it is, you're still regulated. But we're going to let you do wigs without a permit, essentially, yeah. right? Well, would you have to have a permit to do a wig to begin with? But thanks for a little bit of freedom. In order to be a barber in the state of Texas, you have to have 1,500 hours of training. Yeah. 1,500 hours. In correlation, the Texas A&M Police Academy is an 18 week program with only 728 hours. Mm. So you can go through an entire police academy at Texas A&M, state school, in 700 hours. But you have to have 1,500 hours to be able to cut hair. Yeah. I'm curious as to why the state would want to even be involved in yeah. haircuts. Why would you want it within 1,000 miles of that? And this is, um, you know, we talk about um, uh, gender modification for children. In this current session, we're talking about, um, I'm going to do an end around to your point. They talk about um, the you know people who are born biologically one gender competing with the other gender. You know they're dealing with these things. They're dealing with what size chain you can put on your dog and leave them out back, right? These are the issues. 
But yet this overregulation stuff that you're talking about, this stuff that is when you ask why, because, again, it's about money, right? They, they want to keep doing these things that sound good because these are these are social issues. These are things that hit the gut, hit the heart, right? People don't want to talk about 28 levels of, of tax. They don't want to talk about those. They don't want to talk about the 1,500 hours that somebody's got to train just to cut somebody's hair. They don't, they don't want to talk about those kind of things. But these are the kinds of things that are impacting the economy. They're impacting. And then, and then you take that and you multiply it across the board with, with people who want to do franchises. They want to do small business. People who are entrepreneurs. People like us who, who want to go out there and, and just create, create, create. You're penalized for doing that. Because how dare you think outside of the box? We're going to tax the hell out of you, and we're going to make sure that you never get out from underneath that, That you know. It, it, to me, I see it as a violation of the American dream. It, it really is. It's like, you know, let's see how many burdens we can put on you. That's why I keep saying we got to get government out of our lives. So how do we change that, Chad, with like in our industry, specifically with, with Tune Up the Manly Salon? Well, this is one of those things where, and I, and I go back to an overarching thing, and I actually talk about that very thing in, in the, on the policy pages of my website. At least I, it's been on there. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's in our, you know, some of the things. I use uh, hair salons as an example of, of regulate, over-regulation and licensing. We've got a clean house. We got a clean house. There, there's a you got you to clean some crap up. I mean, we got stuff. You know, I, you, you go to those funny... Um, you know, certain weird laws in certain states, like you can't carry an ice cream cone in your pocket into the courthouse in Scottsboro, Alabama. You know, these things just got stuck on the books a century ago and they've never been wiped off. And I think people need to realize that we got to clean some things up. I'm a conservative, right? I, I'm, I'm really a, liber, a libertarian in a lot of ways. Um, I'm running as a Republican because that's the only way to primary Greg Abbott. I'm not going to run as an independent because as a conservative guy, I don't want to take votes away and, and give it yeah. to the Robert Francis O'Rourke's of the world. People always accuse me of splitting a vote. The primary, that's the beauty of primaries. Primaries are healthy for a party. But, I, you know, as a conservative, I'm a small government guy. I want to live my life, be left alone. You know, that extremist behavior, right? I want to be left alone. I want to go out and be able to make as much money as I possibly could make. I want to be able to keep as much of it as I possibly can. I want to raise my kids without fear of sending them to a, a, an indoctrination camp called a public school where they're going to have, be brainwashed with socialism and Marxist concepts, and they never truly get an education because they're being trained to take some standardized test. Uh, I want to be able to retire one day and sit on the porch, drink a beer, and, and enjoy my grandkids, you know, and maybe go to the football game on Friday night and fishing on Saturday morning. You know, that's, that's kind of that American dream. Just be left alone. To the degree that I can go out there and work hard, I should be able to reap the benefit and the fruit of those labors. But these overregulations and these things, this got to go because because to the degree that we're taking those what I consider to be uh, inalienable rights according to the Constitution, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. If I were to do that, like that, make me pretty damn happy, right? I, I, I'm pursuing that. These kind of things that we're talking about, they're violational. They're constitutional violations. We've got to we've got to clean the books on these things. Stop regulating everything. Stop over... And I'm not saying every regulation is bad. You know, people want to throw that back in your face. And they say, oh, you GOP guys, y'all don't believe in regulations. Well, we do. Just like I mentioned, the star, alluded to the STAR test, you know, STAR test needs to go away. That doesn't mean I'm anti-standardized test. But when that is the be-all, end-all of your educational process here in the state of Texas is to train kids just to pass the standardized test so they can report back to the federal government as to whether or not the teachers are doing their job properly, that's bogus. 
It's, it's money. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about money. The regulations, the licensing, all of this stuff, the, the, the hoops you got to jump through, you know, the hurdles you got to cross, it's all about money. The government doesn't do anything that they don't monetize. That's why people say, again, at the very beginning, I said, why would somebody spend $75, $80 million to get into an office that pays $150,000? Because they can monetize everything. How does Nancy Pelosi, how, how is she worth $120 million? when she spent her life in, in, in DC, mm -hmm. how, you know, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, I mean, you know, 10% for the big guy, because we we're seeing through the smoke and mirrors these days, we realize they've, they've monetized everything with everything from shell companies, you know, on and on and it goes, they don't do anything that doesn't put more money in the coffers. So if it's a law that's being passed at some point in time, so we had eight GOP priorities in the legislative session here in Texas. Um, the last one on the list was uh, getting rid of abolishing uh, taxpayer-funded lobbyists. You know, the lobbyists in Austin, they know it's in their job description. Hey, they're going to talk bad about you at campaign time. But don't worry about that. That's just what they do, and then you're not going anywhere. And that's, that's people on both sides of the aisle because they love the lobbyists. The lobbyists mm -hmm. fund all of their incentives and all of their you know, directives and the things they want to do. So they're not, getting, they're not getting rid of the lobbyists. It's big business down there in Austin, you know. Uh, you got Louisiana and Oklahoma. They're, they're going to come here and give hundreds of millions of dollars through lobbyists to the state of Texas just to make sure that we don't put gambling legalized or put any casinos because, you know, they want you going to Lake Charles, Bossier City, and, and Thackerville and, and Durant or wherever in Oklahoma. Uh, they don't want that to happen here. It's big business. So they're not going to deal with those lobbyists. Everything they do is is driven by a special interest, is driven by a lobby. We got to end <laughs> that crap. So, the only way it's ever going to end is you put people like me in office. And bottom line, guys guys who just don't give a shit, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. People say, well, how do you know you won't ever get bought out? Because I'm having too good of a time being politically incorrect. Like, I love being, <laughs> able, to, I love being able to say, nah, that's bullshit. You know that's bullshit. And, and it's time that we call it what it is. Uh, you know, do you, you think you, that then, then that, that creates the conversation of term limits? 100%. Where you don't have career well, well, see, technically, technically, we should have term limits just by the ballot box, right? But that ain't going to happen. Yeah. Well, that ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we do. We need to legislate term limits. No question about it. It needs to be there. Again, back to what I was saying earlier. No one, no one should want to stay in Washington, D.C. or Austin, Texas for 50 years. I mean, WTF, man. Let's go, Brandon. I mean, why would you want why would you want to be there for five decades like Joe Biden has? Doesn't make any sense. There's a whole lot more that people want to give it credit for. And we're seeing that now. We know that. I don't even I don't even want to talk like people are, are dumb or ignorant to this because they see it now. It's a joke. And where the where the pawns being played. So six hundred and sixty-six new laws were established in the state of Texas on September first. Yeah. How many went away? How many laws were deregulated besides the? That's a good question. I don't know. I know you can buy beer on Sundays. That's that's the, that's the one. Like at eleven, uh, like that, I think it said at noon. Some, well, no, you yeah. could buy. You, well, you could always do it at noon. Like I personally, like me, be, the libertarian in me thinks you could. You should be able to buy liquor seven days a week, right? So, you should be able yeah, to. Why, buy it why would the government want to? Why be would in the charge government? Of when you can buy a car yeah. or when you can buy beer? It yeah. just it. It doesn't seem like a conservative state right. under that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, that's that's one of those things where, again, it's, it comes down to regulation because somewhere out there, there's a lobbyist who says, hey, it's in our special interest for that not to happen. And we're going to pay you money to make sure it doesn't happen. I read a report. So there's the council student debt, right? There's yeah. that mantra. Council student debt, council student debt. It's a trillion dollars. We're going bankrupt because we went to college. 
So there's the complaints, but then there's the solution, right? And everyone just wants to complain without the solution. You can't just cancel a trillion dollars in debt away. It doesn't right. just go away. Someone's paying for it. So a solution in the state of Texas, I read a report that if they legalize gambling and legalize marijuana for recreational use and tax it both 25%, every single 18-year-old can either get a two-year trade school degree or an associate's degree paid for by the state for free forever. Mm -hmm. It solves the problem. It eliminates student debt on a go-forward basis by something that the people of Texas want. Not to mention what it would People of Texas want to go to gambling. Want gambling. Then they're you don't believe go. that. Drive I-10 East through Beaumont on a Friday afternoon and watch them all go to Louisiana. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. right. You drive through. They're lined up. Go to the Nugget, Nugget parking lot on a Saturday morning. It's nothing just, but Texas plates. Yeah. yeah. So if we're supposed to be the freest state in the freest country in the freest world. Thank you. Right? You're right. Why don't, why aren't we allowed to gamble? So so here, here's what I keep telling people. And I was one of the first ones who came out who said, you know, people say, well, how do you feel about medical marijuana? I said, well, there should be recreational marijuana as well. I mean, what, what is the deal? I mean, come on. And, and stop, I know I hear the Baptist butthole start to pucker up when I say things like this. Just chill. <laughs> There's enough states out there who have done it and done it wrong. Mm -hmm. By God, if we can't learn, like you go to Oklahoma right now, like Oklahoma, I think, <laughs> has done it wrong. You got dispensaries every 15 feet. It, it, I mean, it's just going to, there's got to be something. Like, I mean, I grew, you, up in, I grew up in Colorado and they did it right. Right. Colorado passed one of the first states to pass it, I think just after Oregon. Right. And they taxed it 25% on the top. Yeah. Uh, with minimum pricing across the board, went through a whole regulation piece of it. They gave each city, each municipality, the ability to either approve it within the city limits right. or not. Yeah. And if you couldn't approve it within the city limits, then the county can have it outside. Right. So you can have some conservative areas like Colorado Springs, very, very conservative, very military piece. You can't have a dispenser inside right. the city limits. So you have to drive outside. And 100% of that fund goes towards education. Yeah. It diverted, see, this, they diverted yeah. the existing fund yeah. to something else, which kind of screwed the pooch in the meantime. But the theory of it was right. But the, the problem that we have, that we have now, so we have a lottery, right? That's supposed to help education. Which is gambling. But it, but it, and it's yeah. not helping education, right? right. So, so the, the funds are being misplaced, but it is gambling. And people ask me and I say, okay, we've got, and by the way, to your point, I think in Nevada, the, uh, I think my perception of it, at least I could be proven wrong on this certainly, but uh, I think, I think Las Vegas did legalization, mm -hmm. right? Um. See, that's one of those areas where people say, oh, I thought you were against regulation. No, certain things do have to be regulated. I mean, you do need a driver's license to drive a car. But, uh, and at the end of the day, it's it's not about rights, it's about privileges. We give people the privilege to do certain things, but you got to do it in a certain way or else it's going to hurt people. Gambling, for instance, I think there should be casinos in the state of Texas, but I think they should be destinations. So in other words, you don't put it in downtown Dallas where you have people who are already going to be hit financially hard who could potentially be uh, given over to addictions and things like that with gambling. You know, they, they make $275 working under a car, and then that's they instead of feeding their family, they run out and lose it all on blackjack within 15 minutes. Do what they did in Thackerville, Oklahoma. There's nothing in Thackerville, Oklahoma, except Windstar mm -hmm. and a golf course and some hotels. It's two miles across the border. Right. You yeah. know that's where you're going because you can afford to go. You got in your car. You build your tank up and you drove there and you spent the weekend. That was your entertainment, right? Uh, you know, and again, put it, make it a destination somewhere, make it a destination so that you don't have, you know, it's not in, in increasing because everywhere you have casinos, I think I could make an argument with Bossier city, Louisiana. I think you're going to see an increase of, of poverty that's going to happen by putting them in a downtown area uh, every time you get into a place like that, it looks like it just kind of goes downhill in those areas. Uh, New Orleans is an example with Harris, right? Yeah. Smack middle down. Right in the middle of it. 
right in the middle of it. So, so my thing is let's learn from places that have done it. Some have done it wrong. Some have done it right, you know, um, and, and make it, make it legalize it, but make it a destination. And, uh, I, I think there's a way to do that. You're going to, you're going to help. You can help education. Certainly if, if the money's appropriated properly, you could bring property taxes down. You could help educate on the higher education, uh, situation. But one of the other things we've got to do is, is we need to work on this higher education that, you know, I, I, look, first of all, I'll say this, and I know we don't have a ton of time, but but public education, our system needs to be burned to the ground. It's like it, we've it's like we've got a tree that grew through the middle of the house, and people are going, well, how are we going to fix this? Well, the only way to do it is cut the tree down. We got to get in and repair the house. The public education system was built on the Dewey Man humanist system of of socialism, and and we're not educating our kids with with any real sense of critical thinking or common sense, and certainly no moral principle. Uh, so. The whole thing is is bunk, and that's not a, that's not a slam at teachers. God forbid. In my opinion, the teachers aren't being allowed to do the job that they dreamed of doing when they when they decided they wanted to be a teacher. They're not truly educating. They're not evaluating. They're not testing. They're not promoting. They're being told this is what you got to do. Here's your curriculum. Get them through this standardized test. Uh, but higher education, college and university. I'm a big guy. You know, I'm, I'm friends with a guy like Mike Rowe. You know who who's big on vocational trade schools and stuff like that. Uh, big, huge proponent of things like that, especially when we've got a board of regents that is ridiculously left and progressive in their direction. They control everything that happens in our colleges and universities in the state of Texas. And it's very telling when you know that Greg Abbott appoints every one of those board members. Why would he appoint these lefty uh Board of Regents members. Well, again, back to money. It's back to money. So we've got to overhaul the entire system. But you can pay for that education if you legalize some things and and bring money into the state. And I have people who say because it's because I I keep telling people I said let's let, we got to shut the door to Silicon Valley because Facebook is here, Google's here, Tesla's now making their headquarters uh, headquarters here. Um, you know, Amazon. I don't know if I said that, but yeah, they're all here. And what do they do? They're they're not just bringing. Jobs. People say, well, that's jobs for Texans. We have jobs for Texans. We have jobs for Texans. But what we're seeing now, and I, I hate to even laugh at this, but it's like it's a told you so moment. So now let's say <clears throat> Facebook comes to town, you know, they set up shop in Austin. They hire a bunch of people and they say, oh, by the way, now you have to get a vaccination in order to keep your employment here. Well, I don't want that. And they're like, okay, well, you're fired. So we're going to call our buddies in Silicon Valley in California who are already indoctrinated and inoculated. We're going to give them that job. So that job you thought you were getting as a Texan, nah, we're just going to bring more Californians in here to do those jobs. And so they're bringing with them their ideologies. And with those ideologies comes this politi the, the, the political agenda. So, so, on, so we're going to see more and more of that. So on that note, uh, with this special session, Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I saw it posted. Uh, I can't remember the page. Uh, There's a couple of screenshots of where Abbott was saying uh, private businesses can no longer mandate uh, mask wearing or vaccinations mm -hmm. or uh, a vaccination ID card um, that would that would actually threaten their employment. Uh, after a lot of hospitals, a lot of businesses have already been requiring that. A lot of people lost their jobs because they wouldn't get the vaccination. Yeah. Um, they didn't want to, a lot of unknowns, a lot of things under, underneath this whole topic, but, um, a, is that anything going to be done with that? No. And B, what can be done as a result? You know, like Delta, the CEO, Delta just came out. Delta and came C, out. Yeah. And C, if that was a conservative principle, why did it take him so long to say it? Well, 
you're exactly right on that. Uh, and, and what I say to that is... Because a lot of people lost their jobs while Abbott was certainly very quiet about it. Well, well, first of all, he handed out a mandate, which, by the way, he didn't get any counsel from you know, Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor. He didn't get counsel from Dade Phelan, the Speaker of the House. He only got about uh, maybe input from maybe 5% of the legislators across the state when he shut the state down. So that was a, that's why I say it was a unilateral decision. He, it wasn't a legislative decision. He just did it. Well, that came, that affected us because he certainly didn't consult right. us or our industry when it came to salons. Right. When so retail was allowed to open. Yeah. Salons weren't. Yeah. yeah Home, he, Home Depot was kicking it. I mean, they were, they were, they were, they were killing it. Yeah. You know, Lowe's and Walmart, they were doing great. Those kind of places, but yeah. you know, the mom and pop shops, yeah, whatever that industry might've been was shut down. So, so he shut that down. And then he wants to come in and he wants, again, to play arsonist and firefighter. He wants to come in and he wants to pat himself on the back and say, oh, well, we're just going to re- we're going to, we're going to do an anti-mandate mandate. And so now it's just another mandate. So now he's putting control over, he's coming out from the wrong direction, in my opinion, because he's dug a hole that he's trying to get himself out of. So now he's trying to dictate again what small and private businesses can do or private employers. And that doesn't have to be small, but any size. He's trying to dictate what private businesses can do. Uh, the issue there is he's going he's gonna to come up against a rock right there. One, it doesn't apply towards uh, – uh, because, he's again, again he's not going to show any stance of standing up against Washington, D.C. Uh, he never has. He keeps blaming the Biden administration. Stop blaming the Biden administration and do something about this thing. Uh, because it, but his mandate, his EO, I should say, his executive order is not going to help people who are – under a federal contract, it's not going to help people who are um, working for federal, their federal employees. Um, all of these companies received PPP, pretty much. So that's federal funds. Uh, so he's going to have a hard time dictating to them, mandating to them if that's a and nice. And expires order. in 20 days. And this is an at-will state, so they can fire you for wearing the wrong color shoes if they want. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be about vaccinations. It can be about the vaccination without it being about the vaccination. So, he's, again, he's in a deep, deep hole here. What we've got to do is we've got to disincentivize those who are doing these kind of things. If you're going to do business in the state of Texas, we can make it very hard for you if you're not going to do it our way. I mean, I hate to get all Tony Soprano on you, but but this is a deal where we can make it very hard for you in the way you do business. So you want to come in here. Let's say, again, we saw the picture of him doing the hook'em horns there uh, in the governor's office with Elon Musk. Okay, Elon, you want to come in here and you want to do business as Tesla in the state of Texas. We got some requirements here, buddy. You don't just come in here and, you know, we talk about people coming to an Amer- into America. We expect them to assimilate and do things American way uh, and abide by the Constitution. Well, we got a Texas Constitution here as well. And uh, there are certain things we don't want infringed, and we want you to abide by this. Now, are you going? Are you okay with this? Uh, this right here, because if you're not going to do it, we're going to shut you down. You're not going to do business here. When you start violating somebody's human with their their body, their physical body, that is the same. Uh, I mean, not it's not only unconstitutional, illegal. It's immoral. Let's say I'm a I'm an employer, and I go to a female employee, and I say, Hey, you want to keep your job? I need you to do something for me. That's disgusting. Well, what if I go and say, hey, I'm going to put something in your body. It's this needle right here. We're going to put this foreign substance in there. That's disgusting. It is medical rape in that situation. And we're trying to figure out ways to justify this BS. You can't do that. This is, I mean, your your person, uh, 
is, is you're violating a person's human body. And no, it doesn't compare to the abortion argument because you're talking about two bodies in that situation. You're talking about an unborn child. Uh, and again, we could get into that, but probably don't need to. But, you, you, you know, people say, well, it's my body, my choice. Well, you also have another human body inside of you that's occupying space there. And just because of where they are uh, holding real estate right now doesn't mean you get to violate their rights either. But where is that argument of my body, my choice? For this, of, that's for exactly this. right. Why, why are they picking and choosing where it is your choice? That's exactly right. right. And now I'm going to take, and, and by the way, I try to remind everybody, there's 330,000 other viruses on the planet. We're just focused on this one for some reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and this is something people say, well, you got the measles, mumps, and rubella and the polio. Yeah, it took it 15 years to come up with that vaccine. We have something called uh, Operation Warp Speed. Let me remind everybody that when Donald Trump was doing that, Kamala Harris said, nah, we're, I'm not taking a Trump vaccine. Uh, Joe Biden said, I'm going to trust the science, not Trump. And then even Andrew Cuomo in New York said, nah, just don't buy it. You know, they got it done too fast. I just don't. So between June and January, when Joe Biden took office, those guys were on record of saying that they weren't going to trust the vaccine or are we going to hold them accountable for COVID deaths because people said, we're not taking the vaccine. Joe Biden said and Kamala Harris said, we're not going to take the vaccine, so I'm not going to take the vaccine. Are we going to hold those three individuals who are in places of power uh, accountable for the COVID deaths over that seven-month period? I mean, that's that's the kind of thing. That, <laughs> but it's been interesting how so, much money has been put behind propaganda of, I mean. Commercials and billboards. And, and, and tell me this. Tell me this. Why are there no, why are there no quote, vaccine commercials? You know why? Because they all have to list the side effects. They're not going to, you will not see Moderna, Pfizer, or J&J &J, uh, vaccines out there. And I said a month ago, I said, they've got to push this thing and the boosters as long as they can, as quickly as they can and make as much money as they can, because there will be a pill that's going to come out. And that pill is going to replace the, the, the jab and the boosters. Works. And Works. Uh, sure as shit, they just came out last week. They announced a damn pill that's going to come out. So, it, it, but you watch what's going to happen with the pill. Now they're going to do a propaganda ad against the pill. They don't want you to do that. So what they're going to do is they're going to say now mark my words they're not doing it yet but mark my mark my words they're going to say that it's expensive you can't afford it they're going to say that it causes birth defects and it probably causes cancer watch because they want to keep pumping that juice inside of you and you don't even know what that juice is because it's not a vaccine it's an experimental drug they're actually creating lab mice with uh they're they're calling it humanizing mice they're giving them uh lungs they're creating genetically lungs that replicate the uh, a human lung so they can continue testing the stuff on there. Why are they doing that? Why are they continuing the testing? Because they don't have a finished product. I like to believe that the polio vaccine is a finished product, right? But even if you get a polio vaccine, parents still can file an exemption with the state that says, we don't want to do this with our kids. They're making it so that you can't even do this with this uh, experimental test drug. So I'm trying to find, a, you know, as an employer, we have 700 employees across four states and three brands, right? So as an employer, we kind of like a, a moral conundrum right now. I don't agree with the federal government requiring a mandating vaccine for employees over 100. Right. We fall right in there. I also don't agree with the governor doing an anti-mandate vaccine we can't require it because I don't think they should be within 1,000 miles of either one of those directions. It's I not agree. their job. It's not their job. As an employer, we have certain things that you either agree to in order to work with us, or mm -hmm. you don't, right? You have to wear a uniform, right? If you're in the kitchen, you have to wear slip-resistant shoes. If you opt not to wear slip-resistant shoes, you can't work in the kitchen. If you opt not to wear a uniform, you can't work in the store, right? Those are things that I can control because they're within the confines of my four walls, mm -hmm. right? They're within the eight hours you're working with me today within those things. I can't imagine a scenario with which I would be okay with mandating something that affects them for the 24 hours of a day. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the eight hours of the day because that's within my space, 
right? There's a certain Great level point. of safety with slip resistant shoes. There's a certain level of brand consistency with the uniform. There's a certain level of recipe adherence in a kitchen, mm-hmm. certain level of, you know, you have to show up on time, those types of things. Cause it literally affects the eight hours. But I, to, to mandate something for an employee that works for me a fraction of the time yeah. to affect 24 hours of their life. Yeah. Call them on the I, phone I don't, at 3 a.m. I don't say, have are you that, sleeping in your Yeah, uniform? I don't have that authority. Right. Because then what happens if I go down that slope, then where do I stop? Right. right? If it's for the, for, the, for the public safety or for the employee safety or for the yeah. employee's health, then I go down this path and say, okay, every guy over 40 years old is supposed to get a colonoscopy. So show me your colonoscopy card. Right. Right. Every female is supposed to get a yearly pap smear. Show me your paps card. Yeah. Or you not in a million years would I be okay as an employee asking for a PAP card? Why would I be allowed to require them to get a vaccine? Yeah. I want nothing to do with that at all. Whatever they do outside of the eight hours, as long as they come to work bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, sober, and in uniform, yeah. and whatever I, you do and outside I have is fine. A, I have a sneaking suspicion that you wouldn't encourage people to um, to insert something in their bodies in order to, to work for you. You know, I, I'm using the example right now of talking about um, um, joining the military. Like if, I, if you said to any person on the left, said, do you believe people should be forced to join the military? They're going to say no. Well, this is what you're in essence, but it could save lives. Well, no. Right. Um, well, we're going to start forcing everybody to do this. And when you sign on the bottom line, when you join the military, you sign on the bottom line, you know that this could cost you your life. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I don't want to go and give my life for my country. No, we're forcing you to do it, right? So the vaccine is basically you signing on that dotted line saying, okay, this might kill me, um, but I'm willing to take the risk. I don't want to take the risk, but you're forcing me to take this risk. You're forcing me to join that vaccine military. So if you use that kind of logic, people are not going to go that route, right? I had a guy on Twitter the other day who said, you know, again, I don't care if somebody gets a vaccine. I don't care. I mean, I do, but I, I'm not going to stop you. I think I, I, w- I would try to get you to look at a couple of things before you did it. But if you do it, you do it. It's the mandate that I have a problem with. When you start forcing people. Mm-hmm. I had a guy that come at me on Twitter. You know, everybody's a smart ass and an expert on Twitter. And so they came at me about, um, you know, these guys like, oh, why are you you're trying to kill people? You're trying to kill people. I said, so you have no problem having things forced inside your body. I said, so like my foot in your ass, right? <laughs> like that's like, it, you're like, oh, yeah, big talker. No, no, we're talking about putting things in our bodies against our will. Mm-hmm. This is what we're talking about here. So so back to the thing with Greg Abbott, This is that's the logic I believe he's got to come at this with. Because again, this is, again, I go back to the book, common sense. It, it's just common sense. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's interesting to watch the black community that's coming out against the vaccine. And it's not about right or left. The black community, by and large, is not taking this vaccine. They're the ones who are being most penalized, uh, at least in terms of the way the government is trying to, to, to make this an issue. They're the ones who are suffering the most. Uh, if everybody's got to get that vaccine, the black community is not doing it. Uh, let's see how hard the, the government's going to push the black community. Because we already know what the black community is going to do. You're just not going to push them. They've already proven, hey, piss us off, we'll burn things down. Like, we're just not, you're not going to oppress us again by sticking a needle in us. They're just not going to do it. So it's going to be interesting to watch how this house of cards falls. And when we saw, you know, what the pilots did with Southwest. Right. Right, how it crippled. And we're certainly not in a time where airlines want to lose any business. Right. And the next day, Southwest had $59 flights. There's a huge, there's a huge power in the word no. Yeah. Right. So as an individual Mm -hmm. or as a business owner, you can just say no. Yeah. Like, I'm going to require you to have your employees be vaccinated. No, no, I'm not going to take part in that and, and apply that. I'm not going to argue it or I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to 
engaging, I'm just going to tell you no. And apply that to what we were saying earlier about the border. We stand at the border and we say no. Mm. No. Solutions are simple. All right. I, I keep saying you can't solve a complex problem and still be politically correct because it requires truth and truth hurts. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't like it. They're offended by it. But the solutions are simple. They're right there. The problem is you've got to rake them through that mud, which is the, the governmental process. And you got these sticky ass politicians that are in there. that are going to fight it at every step. That becomes the problem. That's why I keep saying we got to get government out of our life. We got a clean house. We got to, We got to stop this. If we're going to be conservatives. We got to make this thing smaller again, and and reduce get get all of these peons out of the way. These bureaucrats and these lobbyists and and these people that and these people that we put in office. I keep saying, you know, 1773, they had the Boston Tea Party because they weren't being represented by the government that was over them. It's time to have an Austin Tea Party. And it's the same thing. We've got to make a declaration. You're not representing us. You're not serving the needs of the people who put you here. So it's time for you to go, quite honestly. And it's time for real people to run this thing. And that's true from, from the governor all the way down to, to, you know, precinct chairs in certain counties. Uh, it's at every single level. I mean, you see what's happened. Uh, you know, my, my friend Jeremy Story, he got arrested uh, Round Rock for trying to speak out at a, at a school board meeting. Um, the, the, we're, seeing, we're seeing these little tyrants that have been created, whether it's appointed judges, school board presidents, superintendents, teachers, uh, principals. We're, we're seeing it with city council members across the employers, uh, you know, big business. We're seeing we've created little dictators who've seen what they can get away with because it's happened already, and they haven't been told no, and that's what we got to get back to. Good point. <laughs> I mean, I, I, one of our followers uh, commented and said, "You know what? What? What can parents do? You know, when it, you deal with these school boards that are just these overheighted HOAs with a lot of authority and a lot of uh, uh, autonomy, yeah. right? And parents don't want their kids to get be forced to get a, a vaccination when there's 78 million. Uh, children 18 and under in this country. And by statistics, the only number of children that have actually died from COVID was yeah. less than 400. Yet you're, you're wanting to mandate 78 million children to take a vaccination. And parents are saying, no, yeah. I don't want that to happen. And when they go to a school board to speak out to question uh, the mere ethical requirement of that to their kids when they don't want that, Yes, they're saying vaccinations. Yeah. Yes, they have to get a lot of these vaccinations. Or you can opt out because of whatever reason that, that's allowed. But, and these vaccinations, once they were approved by the FDA, were still given 10, 15 years of efficacy trials to even deem them safe. Parents have questions. Right. Employees have questions. I don't, I don't feel comfortable yet taking this because it seems like we're just kind of in the middle of the human lab testing of this yeah. thing. I don't feel comfortable being a lab rat yet. But- I also don't want to lose the ability to provide an income. Yeah. You know, when now unemployment is what it is, you're going to fire me. Now I've got to rethink life and sustainability. Now we're dealing with logistics where shelves are getting a little bit bare. Mm -hmm. Things are getting in, in, in kind of question. So there's, it, it's like the perfect storm of bringing people to their knees. 100%. And so now we're coming up to an election <laughs> season. Chad, honestly, a lot of people don't have hope. They don't even know what their voice could even do. And they don't even trust the election process. That, yeah. For the next year, and looking at guys like you, going, is that person's vote? Like, what can they do? You've yeah. got guys like Dan Sam. You've got guys like Morgan standing up, you standing up, 
what is the solution for people that just feel hopeless? They feel scared. They're afraid. They don't know what's happening. They hear cabal. They hear the elite. They hear all these things about really, do we have any ability to even have a future? Yeah. What do you tell them? I encourage everybody to go back and watch that Pixar movie, Ants. Because when the grasshopper hopper, he says, we can never let these ants find out that there's more of them that, and, and we really don't have any power. Because when the ants get together and we all band together, it suddenly becomes a, a, a major, major thing. You know, watch, watch what, what's the series of The Walking Dead? You know, you hear these people are cloistered up and in, in behind their fences because you got zombies all over the place. They, they won't go out because, because the people with the brains, the people with the, with the firearms that, who still know how to pull the trigger, they're outnumbered. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we've kind of become zombies. Right. We, we've kind of just been like, oh, we're just going through life feeling hopeless and helpless. We've got to turn out. I encourage people to uh, and I'm serious about watch the movie Ants. Uh, I encourage people to go back and study the civil rights movement. Go look at civil disobedience as advocated by Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. Go back and look at that. When a, when a local restaurant says, okay, we're, you can't come eat here unless you're vaccinated, then we go and we show up at that restaurant, we lock arms, we surround it, and we don't allow patrons to come in. Nope, we're not letting you do business in our city. Well, you're going to go to jail. Yeah, that's sort of the thing. That's what Martin Luther King did. It was effective. Because if you have enough people, whether it's at the border, whether it's around businesses or whatever it may be, when the power of the people stand up and they turn out at that ballot box and they say, no, we're not, we, no machines, no machines to count our ballots. We want forensic audits. We want to make sure that there are eyeballs on these ballots. We want to make sure there's a paper ballot. We want to make sure there's an election day, not an election season. And we, we continue to push and force this. You know, Round Rock, Round Rock, uh, this pisses me off. So I, I alluded to Round Rock earlier. They had like 325 seats in their boardroom for their um, school board. When the parents started speaking out, they reduced it to 18 chairs. Wow. And they will not let people bring their own chairs, and they will not let people stand on the wall. Now, if that's oh. not tyranny, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. If I live in the city of Round Rock, we would be in there. We'd have 10,000 people inside that damn building. I paid for this building. It's my building. I'm going to mm -hmm. be in this building. And this is the kind of thing when the ants wake up and realize, and we're starting to see that we're starting to see with the Southwest thing, uh, with the various, you know, truckers, uh, Delta CEO finally said, we're not going to do it, not doing it. And, <laughs> and there's, there's various school walkouts nationwide that are being organized where because saying, the parents don't bring their kids to school, right. the school loses money. That's exactly right. So, so I keep encouraging people. I said, okay, you know, you know, I was a homeschool dad. We, I got four great kids. We homeschooled and, um, I got, you know, two girls at two different universities doing great, super smart. You know, my oldest daughter, she's been published four times. My, um, my, uh, second oldest daughter is, uh, um, she's, uh, uh, she's an accomplished dancer. Uh, my, my third oldest daughter, she, she's a school president. Uh, my son is ranked seventh in the nation in mathematics. People always said, oh, they're going to be socially awkward. Well, look at the bullshit they're putting up with in the public school systems now. I mean, they're, they're living their lives behind plexiglass in front of a Zoom call screen and wearing masks all over the place. I mean, I'd say mm -hmm. that's a little socially awkward. Uh, it, it's so I encourage people, I say, and they say, well, we got to work a job. Okay, well, then when you're working that job, set aside $10,000 every single year and get together with another 10 families and make them set aside $10,000 each. And you'll hire a teacher and let her teach your kids and you pay her a hundred thousand dollars a year to be the teacher in the co-op there in your community 
and and she handles your your kids in your family and do that. People are like, oh, that's like Little House on the Prairie. Kind of worked, didn't it? Kind of worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the kind of stuff we got to get back to. So don't call in sick. Just don't take your kid. Don't take your kid. Don't put them in because again, this is a this is a bottom up, top down, um, horrible institution. This public school thing. It is horrible. It, they they have it's an indoctrination center. People come at me all the time. I'm like, I almost say it's child abuse to continue putting our kids in the public schools. It just is. That's why they don't know who they are. They graduate. <laughs> they don't know anything. Some of them can't even read, uh, and and they certainly can't think critically. And that's why they're graduating from colleges after four or five years with a degree and undecided. They say that they say that and the significantly average, in debt. Yeah, it, desperately in debt and never climbing out of it. And they say that in the age of social media. So let's say the last fifteen years. Um, Roughly, uh, they're saying that people are changing their careers seven times before the age of 35. Yeah. I have a last question. and we have to wrap it up. I got sure. last question. So most people, <laughs> most people's largest investment is their house. Mm-hmm. For the vast majority, they don't have, you know, their own business. They don't have, they have some money in the stock market. They have 401k, IRA, so on and so forth. But their largest investment is and always will be their personal property. Everybody talks about it. Everybody says they have a plan. Nothing ever changes. How are we going to lower property taxes in the state of Texas? Well, anybody that wants to sit down and say that they have an absolute answer for that is lying. Because they, I see guys that kind of flippantly spout off statistics. Well, we just cut this and cut this and cut this. Well, we talked about a couple of things. We can generate income. We can legalize some things. Uh, we can make the money that's actually there available. Um, we don't have to have $60 million football stadiums for our kids to play in on Friday night in high school. We don't have to have campuses that rival Division II universities. Uh, we can have multi-purpose buildings. I mean, if I got a gymnasium for the school, the city can use that gymnasium as well. There's various ways to cut those costs. People are like, how dare you suggest that we actually share our gymnasium? Well, you keep paying these exorbitant property taxes. We can make sure that if those taxes are going to be increased, that as the law states, that we allow these counties and municipalities to actually vote on them. I mean, if you want a $60 million uh, stadium and you want to pay for it, well, then that's fine. Uh, that's your business, right? Figure out a way to do that. But to tax the entire state over that or your county is is criminal. So there's certain things that we could generate income and apply it to that, bring that down. There, there are funds that are being there. But what I see is we gotta we got to stop the spending from the top down. From the top down, we got to do it. People keep talking about a consumption tax. I'm not huge on the consumption tax because I don't think that you can, that could get out of control. Mm-hmm. That could get desperately out of control. But let's say you add a percentage point to sales tax, okay? Uh, that That's a lot of money right there that, um, that would be generated in that regard. There's got to be a process to it. So it should be immediately reduced. There's ways to do that. Uh, you know, people, people over a certain age, especially our veterans need help. They're already getting some, but they need, they need help in a big, big way. It should be reduced or gone. I, I don't believe in property taxes in any way, shape or form. I think they're, they're unconstitutional. I think they're immoral. Uh, if you read the old Testament, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things God said was I'm giving you a promised land. I will never tax your land because that is your inheritance for the next generations. But wait, yeah, here we are, we're doing it. So I think that there's uh, there, there's things that we can do in that regard of cutting that spending and demonstrating from the top down that we don't have to do these kind of things. Uh, and and anybody that has that flippant attitude, to me, it's almost like a surgeon walking in to, to take a tumor off of a vital organ. Let's say your kid has one. He's going to do surgery. He's like, ah, we're just going to cut it out. 
I kind of want you a little more serious than that. Because this is vital. This is a major thing. This is going to take a delicate surgical hand because property taxes has grown like a cancerous tumor in this state. And you can't just rip it out or we're going to have a problem. There has to be a process that it's immediately reduced. Uh, I think if you're over the age of, say, 65, you shouldn't be paying property taxes. We got, we got seventh-generation Texans who are ranchers here, and they, they don't, their kids don't want the ranch because they they'll never own it. They can't afford it. Illegals are coming across it, and ranches don't make money in Texas anymore. So why would they want it? People are, in essence, renting their home for the rest of their life. We know the problem. How do you solve it? Well, it's going to get tricky, but there's ways to do it. And, and this idea of, of continuing just to print the money to spend, pe- people are doing this. Like, you take a $6 trillion infrastructure bill, you know, the Build Back Better bullshit. Uh, people don't even know what a trillion is. Most people, if you ask them on the street, they don't know how many zeros are in a trillion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the money's not there and the money's not theirs. But we just keep saying, oh, yeah, well, let's just vote this. We, we need a new stadium. Sit your ass on corrugated metal bleachers and shake your little cans filled with gravel and cheer your football team on and stop overspending for your community. Stop doing these things. At the end of the day, it's got to come down to the citizens who are saying, yeah, look, we're killing ourselves here. It's not just the government. Quit playing victim. You're allowing these things to happen. And then, you, and then when it's time to foot the bill, you're like, well, I don't like this. But man. that requires involvement. It does. Right. And people have gotten lazy. Mm-hmm. They've gotten lazy. We've gotten mentally obese, and we don't want to deal with that. We want, we want to be catered to. We want to be coddled. And, right. and the property tax problem is not just a government problem. It is a citizen problem as well. What happens is, is it becomes less of an incentive to want to be a property owner. Right. And then you have massive corporations coming in and buying the properties and renting them out. So if you're going to right. rent for life, why don't I just rent from a landlord? Just rent. Instead of renting from the state, that's right. Then you and all the appreciation I get year over year of a house being a homeowner essentially is paid directly to the government. Yeah, and the county decides the appraisal value, not me, not fair market value, not the real estate community. The county yeah. decides the value with which I have to pay a percentage of, which always increases, regardless of what happens to the economy. So there's no real reason, and if there's no reason to, to own property in Texas, then we're not really that different from California. Nope, that's or anywhere right. else. That's right. Why do I want to put a new deck in the backyard? Why would, it, I, why would I want to improve the neighborhood? Exactly. Why do I want to make it? Why do I want to put a you know white picket fence? Screw that white picket fence, man. That might be the American dream, but that's going to make my property taxes go through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, you don't want to improve anything. You don't want to. It's got to go away. It's got to be reduced. There's there's got to be a place that we get to a point where we say no more. And also, we've got to maintain that. Uh, legacy of no state income tax. We really do have to do that. Look, first of all, I, again, I, my libertarian leaning, I think taxation is theft. Um, you make the money, it's your money. I think that there's nothing that the federal government is doing that uh, private, I- private entities and private enterprise can't do better. Look at the post office. Post office versus FedEx and, and U- UPS. They're always going to outperform post office. I mean, I just had 52 packages, 50, 52 packages, 52 orders the other day were lost, just lost. I mean, just lost, uh, mm-hmm. all because they were all in one on one. I can't tell you how many pallet. times I've, I've shipped something at USPS with a tracking number, and uh, I don't get an update until after it's been delivered. See, people, we catch hell every day because, again, and I encourage people to go to watchchad.com, check out our apparel. We are unapologetic patriots, and that's the stuff we that's the stuff we promote. I've been in the apparel business for a long, long time. It's I love doing t-shirts and stuff, but every day we get messages from people saying. Why didn't you send my package? Well, we did. Well, where's my tracking number? Well, we, we're kind of waiting on it ourselves, right? <laughs> I mean, we're de- well, why don't you use UPS? Because you don't understand the logistics that goes in 
to what you're asking. Mm-hmm. You're not in you're not in the logistics business here, so I know that sounds great. But we've got this again to the point we've gotten so governmentally dependent that suddenly, if tomorrow the government was made smaller, hell, even us conservatives wouldn't know what the hell to do with ourselves. So you're going up against a huge political machine. Yep. State of Texas, bigger than anybody can imagine. Tons of money, mm-hmm. basically limited supply of money, in 30, 40 years of practice, mm-hmm. and it's and you're going up against that. So the answer is, yeah, absolutely. You're fucking crazy. It's <laughs> 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 first to answer the question in your book, right? Out of your yeah, mind, crazy. That's right. Um, how can we help get the word out? Uh, Prayther2022.com. Uh, if you're feeling frisky, go to Beto22.com. Still comes to me. <laughs> okay. Nice. Uh, uh, <laughs> nice. I yeah. love that level yeah. of savage. Yeah. That is so great. So we've got uh, <laughs> still comes to me. What I'm able to do in... Uh, I've adopted the philosophy of ABA, anyone but Abbott. And that's on the conservative level. Obviously, if Greg Abbott runs against Robert Francis O'Rourke, we're going to vote for Greg Abbott. Unfortunately, that's true. But that's just the way nature of the beast. But, you know, I have some good primary uh, opponents. They're friends of mine. Um, We don't agree on everything. That's okay. We come from very different backgrounds. You know, Colonel Allen West, uh, good guy. Don Huffines, good guy. I don't say I'm running against them. I'm running alongside them. We communicate. I've known them for years. Um, I'm the only non-politician in this whole thing, right? So I'm encouraging people, if they, if they truly believe that, and, and yeah, I understand I'm coming from an entertainment background. I tell jokes for a living. I, I have fun for a living. Uh, but I know when to get serious. You know, it's like the guy who, who is a plumber and he deals with people's crap literally all week long. He doesn't go home and just start dealing with the ball valves in his toilet, you know. He, he knows when to be serious. He knows when to be real again. Having fun and, and being an entertainer, that's my job. But I'm very serious about business. I'm very serious about entrepreneurship. I'm very serious about the hustle. I'm very serious about Texas. So I encourage people, check it out, prayther2022.com. And the point I'm trying to make is what I can do with a dollar, it takes them about $10,000 to do. Because grassroots is a very real thing. It's political speak for being broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we can do a lot with a dollar. I've been fortunate enough to have this reach in this platform. Uh, to be able to reach a lot of people. And my goal in this thing, because no matter what I win, no matter what I win, people say, what about the skeletons in your closet? Oh, there's no closet. There's tons of skeletons. There's, there's no closet. There's never a closet. We arrange the skeletons on the front yard like Halloween decorations. Like they're, they're just, they're, everybody knows I've lived a wild and crazy life. But again, uh, I'm not worrying about things like that. I win because I've educated people. I've enlightened people. People who have never been involved in a political primary process are waking up to this. We're going to put people in the ballot, uh, in the voting booth, and and filling out a ballot in a primary election who have never voted in a primary. Didn't even know that existed. We're going to see tens of thousands of people show up to vote for the first time in a primary election. Uh, I did an event the other day with uh, about 16, well, I had a couple hundred people there, but there were about 16 people who support me. They're all TikTokers. They're TikTok influencers. It sounds mm. so funny to say. But they literally represent tens of millions of followers, and they're supporting mm. the hell out of me. They're going to put people in that in that voting booth that have never, mm-hmm. never darkened the door. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and at the end of the day, I win. Uh, people say, well, it's a publicity stunt. No one wants this kind of publicity. No one. Yeah. Nobody wants to be drugged through the mud and say, wow, aren't I popular? It's not fun. 
I, I've got plenty of popularity. <laughs> I don't need that. So I'm encouraging people, get involved, man. Get involved. Um, and I alluded to it earlier. I, I do want to encourage people, go, go online. Don't just buy my book. Do that. That's fun. And, and also, if you don't like a chapter, you can rip the pages out. There's no toilet paper on the shelf, so you could just use that. And uh, so I, as I'm, I'm solving supply chain issues right now. <laughs> and so I wish the pages were perforated. But get Robert West's um, five-star plan book. If you're, if you're in Texas, you care about Texas politics, get the five-star plan by Robert West and read that sucker. You, you can read it in an hour. It took me a day. Uh, but it's a quick, easy read, and it helps people know how to get actively involved on a day-to-day level. So, Chad, where else? The whole sphere of Chad Prather. Watchchad.com. Watchchad.com. You know, I'm on, I'm on television every night through Blaze TV. Uh, you can even watch me. Our show premieres at 6 p.m. Texas time, uh, which is central, <laughs> on uh, on YouTube every night, oh, Monday through Thursday night. We're about to add a fifth show to Friday night. Uh, and if you Google Chad Prather, you're going to find all kind of fun stuff. But watch Chad.com or just ChadPrather.com. It all goes to the same place. And then the, the campaign site is uh, Prather2022.com. Again, Beto22. Or, I, like, I like Beto22. Or AbbottOut.com. Yeah. AbbottOut.com still comes to me. So, um, yeah, and I do encourage people. Uh, I've never in my life, I've always done business, and I've always been a capitalist, but I've never said, hey, I really need you guys to buy my product because I need money. When it comes to campaigning, we do need money. I mean, it, you just can't do it without it. You just can't do it without it. It is a, We don't have, we didn't hire a consulting firm. We met with them. It turned my stomach. You know, these guys who want $15,000 a month to come in there and just be absolute mudslingers. I said, it's not me, man. It's just not who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to sleep with myself at night. And I, that's just not who I am. So we didn't do it that route. I mean, we what we're able to do quite literally from the cab of my truck and from a dusty ass warehouse in Arlington, Texas is amazing that we're even mentioned in the conversation consistently with this primary race. And that's the, that's part of the, uh, what makes America yeah. great is you don't have to be somebody to do something great, right? But you need help to do it. Yeah. Chad, thank you for coming in today. Thanks. Yeah. I yeah, appreciate this, you guys. This, and I appreciate uh, what y'all are doing in a big way. This on was the business a, side of things as well as getting your voice out there. This was a real honor to have you. Here to have a chance to really talk to you and give people a chance to really get to know you on a, on a human level, you know, from outside of the truck, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the show and because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions. Uh, definitely people, you know, send us a message if you have questions for Chad. We'll put the links in the bio and information of how they can all get a, get a hold of you, get in contact with you. Uh, but this has been a real honor for us to have you here. And uh, I hope in, uh, in a year, a little more than a year, we can uh, come and shake your hand at the... Uh, in Austin. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a party. Y'all are certainly invited. Greg, Greg Abbott, whenever he was inaugurated last time, he had George Strait come and play, and they uh, they paid George $1.7 million to come play for the party. Oh. And uh, so my buddy Steve Helms that plays guitar for me and Texas singer-songwriter, I told him we're going to pay him $1.7 <laughs> so see, just like that, I'm already saving people money. <laughs> Love it. No, but I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. On. Thank you, Chad. Awesome. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned for next time. <laughs>